Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by our friends at SaveWithBruce.com. Bruce, what am I saying? Our friends, our friends are me and you and this other guy, right? Freak out, freak out, because if you're looking to save some money, like consolidating some debt, you want to buy a new house, maybe no money down, maybe you perfect credit. You gotta have perfect credit, right, comrade? No, sir. You know the deal. You can get into a brand new house with absolutely no money down, and your new house payment, it's gonna be less than your current rent. Find out how easy it is to get out of an apartment and into a brand new house at SaveWithBruce.com. And maybe you'd like to take the family on a little summer vacation. Macho, how does no house payments until September sound? What are you saying? I can save two months worth of payments? Like, Skip them? Is that what you're talking about here? You know it, brother. We're talking no payments in July, no payments in August. You're done until September 1st. And come September 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. Find out how easy it is to save your family tens of thousands of dollars. Get rid of your credit card debt, upgrade some things around the house, even buy a house with no money down at SaveWithBruce.com. That's SaveWithBruce.com. What's that legal information they need? NMLS. Number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, yeah. Teamwork makes the dream work. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, you know, it's been a rainy, rainy week down here in Texas, by God, but it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Well, it's always a beautiful day here at Something to Wrestle Land. I guess we should go ahead and address it right at the top. It's our last episode of Something Else to Wrestle on the WWE Network this Wednesday. And we're going out with a bang, man. We're talking about CM Punk. We're going to have them start up after this one, are we not? Do you think they're really going to let us do that? Do you think they're really going to air it? Well, I mean, stranger things have happened. This is true. Stranger things have happened. And I guess we're going to find out, you know, Wednesday on the WWE network, uh, the end of season one, it's been a hell of a season. And, uh, after Wednesday, I guess we're going to find out if there's actually going to be a season two. Yeah. It's fun because, uh, earlier this week when I was talking to Justin from sports illustrated, uh, hashtag name dropper, I said, Hey, I don't know if this is the season finale or the grand finale. He's like, no, seriously, when is, um, when season two? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, is we there? really don't know. So if you'd like to see the show continue, you know, you may or may not want to tweet at WWE network and let them know that you want a little hashtag something else to wrestle. You're going to have something else coming your way though. Rochester, New York. We're coming to see you tomorrow night 
comedy at the Carlson tickets are on sale right now. You can snag some at the very last minute at brucepritchard.com. But we've got great news about Pittsburgh. Besides the incredible guest you told me you had round, wound up, which is good job of all the people I thought we would have at our show. Never thought that name would be there. We're excited about it. But as a result, we might even be doing a little venue change. Tell them what's going on, Bruce. Well, we are definitely doing a venue change. It seems that the venue that we had is not going to be ready for us. They were remodeling to welcome us in the style that we are accustomed to, but we are going to be at Social House 7. That's located at 123 7th Street, Pittsburgh. It's actually closer to the arena there in Pittsburgh. The venue is already sold out. We've already sold all the tickets. So be sure and check your email for all the information. Everybody that got tickets, man, your tickets are good for Social House 7 on Sunday, July 15th. Just remember, it's a new venue, and you're going to be getting an email actually today if you're listening to this on Friday, giving you all the information. But, man, we've got a full bar and menu, so it's going to be a good time in Pittsburgh on the 15th. Well, a lot of fun happening over the month of August too, because we're coming back to our second home, man, New York city, August 18th, Gramercy theater, brucepritchard.com and Bruce, we've got more shows coming up, including a rather interesting way to order tickets for Boston. This is awesome. Well, yeah, go over to brucepritchard.com. It's going to take you to a link to the Kowloon restaurant. And what you got to do is give Kowloon a call, get your tickets over the phone. It's the way that they do business, but it's the price of being able to perform the legendary, the one, the only Kowloon Comedy Club in Boston. And I can't wait for that in October. Well, we're also going to be coming to see you in LA in November. And we've still got tickets on sale for our trip to England. December 6th through the 9th over at fightforeverwrestling.com. Of course, you can get those tickets for all these shows at brucepritchard.com. Or specifically, if you want to see us in the UK, it's ukstw.com. And I feel like now's a good time to mention that if you were hoping we'd keep that tour going and we might be able to make a stop in Ireland or Scotland, there's a chance we got something coming and we can even encourage people to tweet about it right now, right, Bruce? Yes, I wish you would treat some folks over there in Scotland and Ireland. Let them know that you want something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson live. And uh, let's see if we can make things happen. we got several irons in the fire right now and just haven't finalized anything yet. But I'm looking forward to going to England. And I'm frankly even looking a little more forward to getting over to see our friends in Scotland and Ireland as well. Yeah, I've never been to Scotland, so I'm hoping that one uh, we're able to put together and looking forward to it. But I've been looking forward to talking about our topic here for a long time. Brutus the fucking barber beefcake. I guess we'll start at the beginning, and I need to go ahead and tell you it won't be long. We've got another major announcement. I don't want to spill everything right here at the top, but we're going to have you strutting and cutting with some new news in just a minute. But first, let's talk about Ed Leslie. Born April 21st, 1957. He's a Tampa boy and he's going to become a big deal in wrestling, whether I like it or not. Talk to me a little bit about the first time you met Ed Leslie. Well, the first time that I actually met him is when I started with the WWE in 1987. First time I ever met him was in Worcester, Massachusetts in 1987, May, I believe April or May. I don't know. 
Well, talk to me a little bit about that first meeting. I mean, he had been around the business for a while at that point. He had been in a lot of different independents. Did his reputation precede him? Not really. You know, his reputation from the guys that I knew in the mid South and things of that nature was that he was Hulk Hogan's working brother. Okay. And that he had gone around and he had worked as Hogan's brother early on in his career, that he was a little goofy, hence the name dizzy Hogan that he went by for many, many years. Um, but other than that, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of, of scuttlebutt on him other than he was Hulk's buddy, you know, he was Hulk's best friend. And that's, that was the rap, if you will. Um, I didn't have any preconceived notions and he was kind of kind of in all into himself when I met him. So it wasn't a connection right away at all. What do you mean? All into himself. I seemed to be pretty, pretty pleased with himself and just, uh, in love with himself, if you will, didn't really care about meeting me. And so I didn't care about meeting him that much. So it wasn't a good meeting the first time. I mean, he didn't leave a good impression on you. Wasn't a good first impression. No. Isn't that interesting too, because you've told us about your first time meeting Hulk Hogan, who is without question, the biggest star in the history of the business already by the time you meet him and he can't wait to go out of his way to come over and shake your hand and introduce himself. Meanwhile, though, when you're talking about brother Bruda, not the same thing. Do you think there's anything we could read into that with the success those guys enjoyed as well? Well, yeah, they're two completely different people and in the Hulkster, I think it's evident in the way that he does carry himself and how he does conduct himself Two different people. And over the years I've become a little more, I guess, accepting <laughs> of Brutus, but first impressions weren't good, man. It wasn't like somebody that I wanted to go out of my way to go hang with and get to know. Let's talk about coming up in the business because he gets started growing up as a fan of Florida championship wrestling. How many guys do you think were really influenced by Florida championship wrestling? We don't talk about that a lot here on the show, but of course we all famously know that dusty Rhodes was heavily influenced, but a lot of guys grew up in Florida championship wrestling, right? Yeah, they did. And part of it is because of Eddie Graham and there was that stigma in the wrestling business that if you wanted to go somewhere and you really wanted to learn, you wanted to learn under certain people or you wanted to work in certain territories. And the Florida territory was one of those territories because Eddie Graham was considered a wrestling genius and the way that Eddie booked and the way that Eddie got his talent over and worked with talent was in his era, second to none. So Florida was a place where wrestlers were groomed and where they were molded. And if you could make it in Florida under Eddie Graham, then the chances are that you'd be a success anywhere else. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, you know, when you first have that interaction with him, obviously when you first come into the, uh, into the company, it's right on the heels of WrestleMania three. And this is when things really started to take shape for Brutus beefcake. He tells a phenomenal story in his book. And, and I should tell you right off the top here, I've had a lot of fun with Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. And I first started talking about that over the whole Mr. Perfect angle. And the first time I ever said it quite like that was in our Mr. Perfect episode, which is available in the archives at something But this book is fucking awesome. And I'm not, I'm not saying that just to put the guy over, but I am putting the guy over. 
The book is tremendous and you can pick up your copy. Like I did at brutusbeefcake.com. That's where you can go and get it. And you can even get the book autographed. Uh, mine came autographed and he, he signed it with the hashtag, you know, Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, just like the shirt we have for sale at something It's just phenomenal. I can't put this over enough, but the book gets into how he first met Vince and the way the whole angle came together or the gimmick came together. And I guess we should talk about before we do the twist on the barber, the name Brutus beefcake, he credits in his book to Linda McMahon. Had you heard that before? Uh, I'd heard it was actually, it was kind of a conglomeration of a lot of people. So I don't know who actually got credit. If he says Linda did it, then I believe him that, that Linda might've come up with it because she was instrumental. And there was a lot of people that were shooting out ideas back in the early formation, um, coming up with ideas all over the place. Vince will take it from anybody. Well, of course, uh, Hogan is up there first and he puts in a good word for Leslie, but Leslie does good on his own. You know, he went overseas and did some shots and, you know, we don't talk about guys who worked for Otto a lot, but Otto and the CWA you know, if you went over there and could draw, cause Otto only booked big guys. Odds were pretty good. Eventually Vince McMahon might call, right? Well, you know, Otto was someplace to go. It was like, uh, Japan. It was kind of the opposite where Japan was fast moving in Germany. It was that slow and prodding. It wasn't as action packed, if you will, as the Japanese product back in the day, but both of them were good for money and it was a great place to go and disappear for a month or two at a time and make some money and come back kind of refresh with a new character. But if you made it big and you made some noise overseas, that would usually get the promoters in the States thinking twice going, well, shit, he's making it over there. Maybe he'll do well over here. So eventually he gets this meeting with Vince McMahon and everybody's sort of in the same room when he comes and, and first meets him. Uh, when I say everybody, I mean, of course the right hand man, Mr. Pat Patterson's there. And allegedly Linda's there and says something like you should pattern him after Baron Michael Scaluna. Did I say that wrong? Baron Miguel Scaluna. And I have no idea where the hell that comparison comes from for the life of me. But she is suggesting here, uh, that he should wear like a tuxedo style shirt and be like a ladies man. And she also pitched that maybe he should have a cane and the freestyle here is that he's going to be like a Chippendale dancer, basically a stripper. And supposedly they're coming up with a name kicking around. What should we call him? And Linda is the one who suggests beefcake. And rather than the response you might imagine to this suggestion, Vince McMahon tries to drill it down. Would that be the first name or the last name? What might that have sounded like? I know you weren't there, but let's freestyle and have some fun here. God damn. Is his name beefcake or is he just a beefcake? Is he beef cake or is he beefcake? God damn it. What is it? So you know, he could have been, he could have been first name beef, last name cake. I feel like that should be a shirt. Well, could be. So let's talk about it from, from there. They start kicking around the idea and Hogan, who's in the room says something like, we need something really far out there. 
and they're they're trying to come up with other words like bobby beefcake berry beefcake billy beefcake and eventually somebody says you know popeye the sailor how about brutus the bad guy from the cartoon and allegedly that was hogan's idea so what do you know brutus beefcake was born (laughs) and he fucking hated it he says quote This was supposed to be my big break. People from all over the world dreamed of coming to MSG to perform. And I was about to fulfill a dream. However, I'm going to do so with people calling me Brutus beefcake. I wasn't prepared to be that outrageous. I couldn't even say the name to myself without laughing. It's totally ridiculous, but Vince really put it over. That sounds perfect. He said, then he put out his hand and did his best announcer voice. And in this corner, Brutus. Beefcake. I love it. Eventually though, he decides, Hey, this is my chance. I got to make the most of it. And he takes some advice from Hulk Hogan and he says, Hey, call this guy, Michael Braun. We've talked about Michael once before. Tell everybody about Michael again. Well, Michael was a guy that dealt in spandex. He was a outfitter to the stars. He did a lot of rock bands and he is the one who did a lot of the outfits. He did a lot of the stuff for Hulk Hogan, obviously, but he also did Randy Savage's stuff later years, but he was a designer and he designed and worked a lot with spandex. I believe he worked with Aerosmith, Jimi Hendrix and people like that as well, but he was the outfitter to the stars and he all of his designs were unique and they were one of a kind. And he was off to the races, man. He had the look, uh, and then he decided to change his hair up a little bit. If you see early pictures of Ed Leslie before he was Brutus beefcake, he looked a little different here, here. He's going to cut his hair. He's going to make sure it's a little darker, a little shorter, and he's going to have like an open airy vest, a bow tie, some big, long gloves and these spandex leggings. And he's ready to roll before he makes his debut. Instead of beefing up, like you might imagine a lot of guys do, he decided to slim down a little bit and lost 15 pounds, getting down to about 240 before he became Brutus Beefcake on the road. We're going to skip around a little bit here because you weren't here for any of this, but I think a lot of people forget that he was here and had a hell of a run as a tag team guy with Greg Valentine. What was the rap on Greg Valentine in the business? Because he, he's a guy who was a second generation guy. He'd been around everywhere. How did people talk about him relative to say his father? Well, Greg was a great worker and Johnny was a tough guy. Uh, Johnny was a good worker too. Johnny drew money, but I don't know that anybody ever referred to Johnny Valentine as being, you know, this great worker. He, he was a great attraction. He drew a hell of a lot of money and was a tough guy. Greg was a great worker, extraordinarily tough guy, and didn't have all that much personality on his own. So you put Greg in a tag team, and it added the personality to the team that Greg might have not been able to deliver all on his own. But I thought it was, you know, before that, I got a story for you. When Beefcake was working as a single, and he had just come in, and they were going around the horn with Hulk facing Beefcake. So to a lot of people in the business, they thought that Hulk Hogan and Bruce Beefcake were brothers, shoot brothers. Now they had worked 
uh, all around and, and people was like, oh yeah, they, they work together as brothers is the Boulder brothers and the Hogan brothers, Dizzy Hogan and Hulk Hogan and Terry Hogan and, uh, Ed Hogan, whatever. So there is a, or was a law in Texas with the state athletic commission that family members could not compete against one another. Now this is, again, we're talking about entertainment here. We're talking about a worked match, but it was law. And it was in the bylaws of the State Athletic Commission wrestling rules that a brother could not compete against a brother. A family member could not compete against a family member. So when the WWF came in and they were working at the Astro Arena in Houston, Texas, the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Brutus Beefcake. We actually petitioned the State Athletic Commission to stop the match based on their own ruling that brothers couldn't wrestle brothers. And that's when we got the realization that they weren't actual real shoot brothers. But that was a real life story, man. Amazing. I love wrestling. Can I just tell you that I love wrestling? We all love wrestling. Well, so eventually, um, I guess we should talk about the famous ribs because in the book, and I know you've had a chance to thumb through some of it. What'd you think of the rib that Fuji pulled on him his first night in? Well, Fuji just didn't like the fact that Fuji thought Fuji was being ribbed. And when beefcake came in, here's Ed Leslie, who had gone his entire career with, you know, the long blonde hair and, you know, beefed up body and dizzy Hogan and kind of a goofy character. And he walks in with his hair all slicked back, jet black and introduces himself as Bruce Beefcake. So there were a lot of guys apparently in the locker room that were looking at him going, I know you, I know you from somewhere. And he's like, yeah, I'm Bruce Beefcake. And finally, I guess it was George the Animal Steel who was the one that was like, no, I know you from somewhere. Who the hell are you? I know you're Bruce Beefcake. What's your real name? And then he told everybody it's Dizzy Hogan. And Fuji just got a little pissed off with somebody in Fuji's eyes. You're not riba, Mr. Fuji. It's a bullshit. Maybe I tell a JJ. Wait, that's not Sato. Wrong guy. Either way, you got to read this book, man. There's a hilarious Mr. Fuji rib in here. Good stuff. Now, I feel like we should talk a little bit about, you know, it's out there and you can throw it in your Google machine and it's probably on the WWE network. I would imagine. Brutus does a vignette at a strip club and he says Vince actually paid the club money to let him dance and film him in front of their customers. Yeah. Talk to me about this. I mean, I understand, you know, if he wasn't nervous about coming in with this new name, now all the boys are fucking ribbing him and they want him to shoot a vignette in a strip club where he's got to dance as a male Chippendale dick dancer, as Rick Flair would say. Well, again, I wasn't there, but if you're going to be given an opportunity and you're going to be given a gimmick that Vince is behind, you have two choices. You can red rooster it or you can embrace it and beefcake embraced it. And was able to go out and shit. Yeah. I imagine it would be a little intimidating 
going out and having to perform in an arena that you are unfamiliar with while you've got a bunch of guys who make their living shaking their penises in women's faces. And Beefcake had to go out and, and do that after the fact. It was, I remember the vignette. I remember seeing Bruce Beefcake for the first time and thinking, what in the hell? Who, what is this targeted at? What is the audience that they're going for here? And why? Uh, just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and it was a heat getter from the male demographic. You didn't like the guy right away. Let's talk about the way the business was changing because he finds himself working against Bruno's son, David San Martino at WrestleMania one. A lot of people didn't think WrestleMania was going to make it. Obviously they were wrong. He gets a hell of a payday there, but he also gets a big payday when he becomes one of the very first guys to have an action figure. He wrote about in his book that his first royalty check for the action figure, the LJN was around $20,000. Dude, that's unheard of in the business at this time. Isn't it right? Yeah, but Hillbilly Jim's was for like $75,000. Well, you're a dick dancer. You know, the kids don't want the dick dancer doll. And that was Vince's argument. Vince's argument was that the heels won't sell, even though she can bulk off. You you needed to have somebody for the good guys to beat up. Exactly. Exactly. But I don't think that people really wanted to have the male dancer as a action figure for their child to play with. But at the same time, $20,000 is found money. That's pretty damn good money for royalties, especially for a heel at the time. Whatever. Motherfucker had the opportunity to work as a heel against Hulk Hogan in a house show. The payoff is going to be between 10 to 20 grand per night for being Hulk's opponent in those days. How nuts is that? Business was good and it was a way of enticing people because when the payoffs are that good and the boys are talking about it, everybody in different areas around the country started going, Hey, did you hear what so-and-so made? Whether they made that much or not, that probably was pretty damn close to that. And the payoffs were good, but it got people talking and it got people all over the country going, Jesus Christ, do you hear what they're paying up in New York? God, I've got to get there. I've got to do whatever I can to work there. Well, and it was life-changing. Brutus even wrote about in his book that by the end of 85, he was able to pay cash for his very first house on the beach in St. Petersburg, but he's never home because he's working so much. So he just turns it into a rental property the very next day, but still cash for a house, man in 85. So, you know, he had not been there tons of years before he was able to just make it happen. Let's fast forward to WrestleMania three though, because you're going to start very quickly after WrestleMania three. And this is when there's a bit of a transition on the WrestleMania three show. You may recall Roddy Piper has his retirement match, or so we think at the time it will be against Adrian Adonis. And it's a hair match. And at the end of that match, well, explain what happened with the hair here. Well, it was time for, I guess, Adrian to, to have his head shaved. And instead of Roddy doing it, it was an opportunity, I think, in Vince's mind that Vince had this character for Bruce Beefcake. Uh, He had broken up earlier in the night with his partner, Valentine, and split with his manager, Johnny V. So they send Beefcake out to actually do 
the shearing of Adrian Adonis's hair. And when they get out there, they learn the lesson that, unfortunately, New York didn't do a lot of hair matches, so they didn't really know the pitfalls. But they used a uh, battery-powered shear, which is not that powerful. And when you have someone with long, sweaty hair, it the shears get jammed up, and they're not that powerful. So Beefcake is out there, and Beefcake is trying to cut Adrian's hair and trying to shave his head off, shave the hair off, not working. So they cut it up brutally. Uh, Beefcake does the best he can. And that night, the barber was born. And it really is amazing that that happened right before our eyes. Because even then, he himself didn't really know what's about to happen here. Of course, hair versus hair match. You know, these hair matches have been a big thing forever. But in Mexico, it was hair versus mask. A lot of times tell everybody about what a big blow off match, a hair match used to be a generation or two ago. Oh my God. It was everything, especially when you had a a hot heel with long hair or a pretty boy gimmick where you could shave someone's hair. Bald wasn't cool back in the seventies and eighties and sixties. What have you? It wasn't cool to be bald. Nowadays people shave their head and. I guess they look good bald, but it's not the stigma that it was back in those days. So you could have a match and the stipulation be whoever loses this match is going to get their head shaved bald in the middle of the ring. It was a humiliation factor to humiliate and take someone's identity away from them with long hair. In Mexico, it was a pride thing. And you'd go the mask, which is the tradition in Mexico, versus the hair. Usually the guy with the mask would win so he wouldn't have to be unmasked and you'd shave someone's head. But it always drew money. It drew great money. Uh, Gino Hernandez and Jose Lothario did two hair matches inside of a year in Houston, Texas, and both drew very well. So it just was a an educational process and a, and a culture thing. In the South and in other territories, it meant a lot. New York, Vince didn't get it. Who the hell cares about getting your hair cut? Didn't understand it. That's amazing, man. So he shows up about a week after WrestleMania three, and they're going to be doing a show in Rochester, New York, just like we are tomorrow night at BrucePritchard.com. He's at the war Memorial arena there. And in this dressing room, he starts laying out his gear when all of a sudden Renee Goulet strolls in and has some other producers in tow with him. And Renee hands him a white jacket and says, here it is. And Brutus says, here's what he takes the jacket from him. And he says, it's your new gimmick. You're the barber now. And Leslie flips out. He had no idea he was getting a new persona. He was just now getting comfortable being Brutus beefcake and making money with it and feeling good about it. And now they're going to make him into a wrestling barber. He wrote in his book. I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. Were you involved in creative at all yet? I mean, what were, at this point, did you know about the Brutus, the Barber beefcake thing at all? Or do you find out about it? Like everybody else does. I was in the production meeting when Vince announced it, uh, to everybody else in the production meeting and that Brutus beefcake would now be known as the barber, uh, or Brutus, the barber beefcake. And that he felt there was a disconnect. I think 
that Beefer had already worked a couple of TV tapings and Vince was like, God damn, he's a baby face now. And there's gotta be a change in the gimmick. We, we, he's, he's now the barber. He shaved Adonis's head. I, I want him to be a stylist. And that was Vince's thing. Yes. His name was the barber, but Vince and in the promos that beefcake did and in the vignettes that we did with beefcake, it was all about being a stylist. And that's what Vince wanted Beefcake to be, is to be, yes, he's Brutus the Barber, but he's going to style their hair. And it was all based on the world champion barber, Sal Fedora, who was Vince's personal barber. <sighs> Phenomenal. And the the very first, the first vignettes, not these, these weren't vignettes, these were just pictures where they took Beefcake down to... Um, a barbershop and shot some pictures with him and shit. Before you tell that story, let me continue the story that he tells in his book about being told he's going to be the barber. He immediately tells Renee, I am not the barber. And, and he says, Oh yes, yes, you are. So says Pat and Brutus wrote in his book. I should have known Pat Patterson was gay. He gay faved for a long time, but all the boys knew he liked men take nothing away from him. He was, and is still probably the greatest storyteller in the game. But if I was in the ring, trying to be a lady killer, cutting hair, wasn't my idea getting chicks. You see Pat Patterson's lifelong partner, Louie was some kind of stylist or something. Having me be a barber just felt like it was a way for Pat to get his jollies. You know, seeing a decent looking wrestler in barber attire was probably a way to get his rocks off at my expense. I immediately pictured Pat sitting in a barbershop chair with one of those black smocks on when the barber starts running his fingers through Pat's hair, you could see the black material of the smock rise and pitch a tent in his lap. I got cold chills. This is disgusting. It felt like Pat was projecting some sort of weird fetish onto me and would live vicariously through watching my matches or something. I don't know. All I know is I didn't like any of it. So he's really reaching here in the book, but you could tell. He fucking did not like this barber idea, but there is a little bit of truth in that Pat's partner. Louie was a stylist, but maybe Pat's he's partner. Louie was, yeah, he sure was. But the idea for the barber was Vince McMahon's right. So if they don't like something rather than blame Vince and rather to go, rather go to Vince, it's so much easier to blame everyone else and, and accuse somebody else of doing it. So that's just kind of the, the MO and, in the wrestling business, if you will. It's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, the vignettes that I cut you off from there, because I just wanted to get in that line about Pat, but I have an idea where you're going to be talking about with these vignettes. Well, we went down to Joel Watts and I, and Joel and I were brand new with the company. And so we went down to Sal Fedora's salon in Manhattan. And it was one of the first times that I'd ever been to Manhattan where Vince is in the, in the barber shop and he's showing beefcake exactly how he wants him to, to work and how, what he wants him to do in these vignettes. And it was, it was amazing because it was one of the first times that I had been around Vince when Vince was creating actually on the spot in these vignettes, he was doing everything. And, and it's, it's where I learned. So as they're doing all this shit, we went to a separate location to shoot more shit. And Vince's, um, rib, if you will, at the time, I'm a kid from Texas 
and Vince wanted to put all the gear and put Joel and everybody else in a taxi and have them go to the next location. It was like, Bruce, you just follow them. Just just follow them. And, of course, the New York City taxi is going to leave a 24-year-old kid from Texas in the dust. And I had no idea where the hell I was and had to pull over. And you only have pay phones. And I'm calling pay phones trying to reach people and hitting Joel's beeper to try and get him to call me back and fun shit like that. That was my welcome to New York kid. He talks about in his book, right after getting this smock, he's walked out and down the street to a nearby barbershop that looks like it's vacant and run down. It turns out that Vince had actually rented the place for them to go ahead and do a shoot. Renee hands this old Italian fellow an envelope, shakes his hand. Then they do this impromptu photo shoot where he's pretending to cut someone's hair. And by the time he gets back, everybody already knows what's happening. There's a wrestling barber. And as soon as he comes in, they're all ribbing him and he's trying not to sell it, but he is furious. So he shuts the door and has a little bit of a temper tantrum and can't get used to looking at himself in the mirror with this stupid jacket on. And then eventually he hears all the hubbub and brother Hulkster comes in and asks what the hell's going on. And Brutus tells him, quote, I don't know. I think they want me to quit. And I'm thinking about it. This is not right. And Hogan says, Hey man, what if you just ditch the jacket and try to use like this as an advantage, keep all your other Brutus beefcake gear and maybe even the jacket. And so he sort of flip-flops as to with the jacket, without the jacket, and eventually says, and this is genius, look, brother, they want a barber. Give him a barber. But tell them the only way it's going to work is if you actually cut the other wrestler's hair, like almost all of the time. So what Hogan is suggesting is basically all the matches become hair matches, like every one of them. This could almost be Hogan's freestyling here. Like when Jake Roberts has a snake at the end of every single match, you knock the opponent out and then cut their hair. It could be big money. Hogan's pretty smart to see the vision here. Is he not? Yeah. And Hogan was the one who helped sell it. Hogan was the one that actually did see it and say, Hey, here's an opportunity. You're going to be a baby face. You can't go out and be a baby face based on your old gimmick, but here's an opportunity to go beyond that old gimmick, create a new one, make it your own. Just because they give you a, a barber's smock, you can make that your own and you can grow and turn it into a beefcake smock and be the barber, be this crazy stylist, do it in your style. Don't go out and just all of a sudden be an Italian barber. And that was what Vince was looking for. And I don't think that Vince was communicating that well to beefcake at the time. So boom, tag in the Hulkster to go in and sell it to your brother, if you will. So he starts making, um, an effort to sort of put his own spin on this. And he pitches Vince on what he wants to do with the character. He wants to wear all of his normal beefcake stuff, but he'll carry a bag. And in the bag will be scissors, clippers, shaving foam, hair color, whatever he needs. And he's going to take these garden shears and like put a mirror finish on them and make that his gimmick. And he's even going to do like what he calls the beefcake strut. And then he's gonna like move his fingers as if they were scissors 
And he's going to talk about doing strutting and cutting, which is the name of his book that you can pick up at BrutusBeefcake.com. What do you remember when you first saw him bringing the bag of shit to the ring? The, the new beefcake strut with, uh, the scissor motion with the hands, the strutting and cutting, and then putting the guy to sleep, which is exactly the way Piper was able to get Adrian Adonis unconscious at WrestleMania three before they cut his hair. So he's sort of borrowing from a few things here. And then what we see is Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. what do you think? Well, okay. Look, it's beefers, it's beefers book and, and more power to him. And without beefcake, putting his spin on things and being able to go out and articulate it and make it happen, it wouldn't have been as successful. Uh, I remember the bag being introduced and that was another Vince deal trying to color it up. Uh, giving him spray paint. God damn, put a big B on there for beefcake. And I want, you know, yeah, yeah, spray paint, color his hair, and have all this shit. Beef was sitting there with the bag. What do I do with all this shit? Now you want you want to put me in a smock? Now you want me to carry a bag to the ring too? And then as he's doing all that stuff, and then Vince came out with, you know, wanted to do the big shears, the big ass, you know, god damn, he's, he's, he's Brutus the Barber, he's not going to have a little pair of scissors. You have a giant shears. And, and can you imagine the visual as he comes out? He's going to cut their fucking head off. That's what he's going to do. And, and having to walk Beefer through each and every single one of these things. Because, and again, hats off to Beefcake. He made it work. He embraced it. He did it. Uh, but I... Kind of was a little bit different other than B for coming in. It was, what do I do with this shit? Instead of, hey, how about I do this shit? It's a little bit different. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and this is kind of fun. There is a, a rule of thumb with enhancement talent in the era. How much were guys for a typical enhancement match? Let's say Mr. Perfect is going to beat somebody for superstars. Roughly how much money would the guy he beat make that night? I think guys made like 250 back then. Now, hypothetically, if they were to get their hair cut by Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, how much would they make? Probably a couple hundred extras a bonus for cutting your hair. So there you go. Your boy, George South figured this out. And, uh, started to decide I'm not cutting my hair for shit. I'm going to grow it out. I think he'll let Brutus beat me. And, uh, he'd get a $200 bonus whenever he got the haircut, which is really pretty awesome. One of the other things he sort of freestyle when he was first talking about doing this was the different ways he could cut the hair. So there's scissors, there's, uh, his actual garden shears, the electric razor, and he would even cut some hair off and throw handfuls of it up in the air just to sort of pop the crowd and let them see what was going on. But a couple of times he even sprayed the letter B in hairspray on their chest and then would throw glitter at them. So their chest would have a big glittery B. I don't remember ever seeing that, but that's all in his book here. what did you think of the glittery B? Well, yeah, it was, it was marking his territory, if you will. And it was styling. It wasn't just styling their hair. It was giving them a complete stylist makeover and beefcake. You know, I'd use the, the paint and everything. And 
put his own brand and his own mark on everybody that he worked with. So some guys got a little bit uh, less of a haircut, more paint. Other guys, a little bit more of a, more of a haircut and less paint. So talk to me about, um, and I think this is something that we're going to talk about a lot here. When he's first getting hot and he's been this big heel for a long time, they turn him babyface after WrestleMania three. Does he make significantly more money as a babyface than he did as a heel? I honestly, I don't really know. Uh, I would imagine he would because now he's getting merchandise money as well. He's got shirts. He's got uh, everything going for him. And the son of a bitch is getting over like a firecracker. So, I mean, he's really starting to hit every time it's, it's like Jake and the snake. Every time that Jake takes the snake out, the people would pop. Same thing with beefcake. Beefcake would take the scissors out. People would pop. They wanted to see somebody get their hair cut. And they knew that when beefcake worked, they were going to see something that they weren't going to see in another match. So yeah, he was over like some bitch. So let's talk about survivor series, 1987. This is when we start to really feel like, and again, it's the first survivor series. And we've talked about it in our archives at something wrestle.com, but he's in there with big stars, man, macho man, Jim Duggan, Jake Roberts, and Ricky steamboat are taking on Harley race, Danny Davis, Hercules, honky tonk man, and Ron bass. And Brutus eliminates Ron Bass. And then he himself is eliminated by the honky tonk man. And he finished up these, uh, 87 house shows working against guys like Ted DiBiase, Dino Bravo, one man gang, and even his former partner, Greg Valentine. And he's working pretty much exclusively with Valentine up until March of 88. And that's when he starts a feud with the intercontinental champion honky tonk man. And Brutus says that this was supposed to be building towards his eventual run with the intercontinental championship, but that doesn't really happen. Talk to us a little bit about, cause you've sort of shared this thinking and this story and this train of thought with Vince McMahon talking to talent about what the plans might be. And before you remind us about that. To the best of your recollection, was there ever any consideration of putting the Intercontinental Championship on Brutus in 88? Yeah, there was. And talked about Beefcake, you know, in a what-if scenario and Beefcake possibly being the champion. But, you know, a lot of guys were talked about, you know, what-if scenarios. But, yes, during that time, Beefcake was considered as a possibility to be a champion. Didn't really go beyond that. Well, it's around this time when he's working with Honky Tonk Man that we start to see uh, Peggy Sue. And Peggy Sue, of course, is a mysterious valet, uh, which is actually a sensational Sherry. And sometimes at house shows, it's Jimmy Hart and Drag. What do you remember about Jimmy Hart and Drag doing the uh, the gimmick here? Well, you never knew which Peggy Sue that you were going to get because you did get Sherry Martell. Sherry was actually dressed up in a wig and a big bloomer with a poodle on the skirt and everything. So sometimes you would get sensational Sherry as Peggy Sue. And sometimes you'd get Jimmy Hart. So you never knew really which Peggy Sue you were going to get. And it was just kind of a goof back and forth as to which one you'd get. Didn't no rhyme or reason to it other than keep people guessing. So let's talk about, and I think this is kind of fun, um, stripping Jimmy Hart down 
to reveal that it's him and he might be wearing women's underwear. And Brutus has some fun with this. And he says, quote, Jimmy was always a bit of a Hulk Hogan stooge, but fun to work with. He didn't mind being the butt of the joke. Now, far be it from me, disparage the good damn name of Jimmy Hart. But is this a uh, teapot and kettle here when Brutus <laughs> says that Jimmy was a Hulk Hogan stooge? Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was going to say that's kind of uh, ironic, that comparison there. But I'll tell you what Jimmy Hart did that was absolutely beautiful when Jimmy would get stripped of his clothes in any way, shape, or form. Jimmy Hart perfected the the look of a manager when they would be stripped down. And I, I stole it completely from Jimmy Hart. But you know how like when a woman is is stripped down and maybe she loses her top. The first thing she does is kind of cross her hands across her breasts to, to cover up her breasts. And then she would, you know, if the, the bottoms were gone, she would go down and put both hands over the bottoms. Well, Jimmy Hart would do that when he would be stripped down. So here's a man, okay, getting stripped down, but Jimmy would still cover his breasts in the same feminine manner. And then, if he is wearing underwear, he would then put his hands down to cover his crotchal area and go back and forth from covering his chest to his crotchal area and perfected that. And I did that in the years to come, stealing from the best and Jimmy Hart when Brother Love would get stripped down to give the same illusion. So let's talk a little bit about um, what we're doing next here because we're setting up WrestleMania 4 for the Intercontinental title. And it's going to be honky tonk man defending against Brutus. There's a ton of house shows here and on the way here is when they're doing the reveal that it's really Jimmy Hart and just to have some fun, Brutus brings out George, the animal steel and drag. Nice. Tell us how Georgina became to be a thing. <laughs> Well, I was looking for something really for Georgie Animal Steel to do during the time. It was a nice little cameo for him. And if you're going to put one guy with a goatee and mustache in drag, then you put another hairy animal up in drag. Nice. It was just some uh, some good funny shit. It was it was more for house shows. You get a little added attraction when you get Georgina come out and kind of chase Peggy Sue around and strip down Jimmy Hart. Nice funny haha. Little ha ha baby. They have a fun match at WrestleMania four. Uh, of course he wins by DQ. So he doesn't win the belt, uh, but he does get to put uh, honky tonk man to sleep. And there's some fun silliness here where Peggy Sue has to wake up her boyfriend after he gets a haircut. She pours a pitcher of water on him. And he says, quote, in the end, I did not get the belt as Patterson had promised me. But they say I would get a run with the belt later after Honky lost it to someone else in the near future. He was disqualified at the pay-per-view to keep me looking strong without a pinfall. So I would look like a viable contender in the near future. What'd you think of WrestleMania four? And what do you think of him asserting that Pat had maybe misrepresented this to him? Well, I thought earlier it was Vince who had promised him the intercontinental championship. Now that he didn't get it, it was Pat that promised him the intercontinental championship. Again, I go back to guys are going to hear what they want to hear and, and they're going to hear and have take away from conversations what they want to take away from those conversations. You know what? The match was fine. The match was what it was. It, it was meant to be an entertaining, ha-ha, filler match. 
And that's exactly what it was. And everybody played their role and, and it was fine. No one is ever going to accuse Beefcake of having a great wrestling match. Just never happened in his career. However, he had charisma and people love the damn barber gimmick. Well, let's talk about, you know, what he's doing after this, because he starts working with honky tonk man through April, May, June, and July. Brutus wins every single time, either by DQ or some sort of count out thing. And then he gets put with outlaw Ron Bass. And I got to tell you as a kid, this angle and the way you guys play this on TV is something I remember like it was fucking yesterday. Tell us about this angle that we all remember with Ron Bass. Well, the whole idea behind beefcake working with Ron Bass was they had worked previously and it was somebody that beefcake was comfortable with and familiar with. And we were also looking to try and get Ron over and do something with Ron thinking that there was some money there in the big cowboy, big nasty cowboy. So we did an angle where Ron Bass finally gets to beefcake and he takes his spurs and he runs the spurs across the top of beefcake's head and beefcake just bleeding like a stuck pig. And it was fairly graphic, uh, an awful lot of blood. And it was so much blood that we did the old censored gimmick across the screen. So you would see certain parts to the X. You put a big X across the screen and it was a technique that the old WWWF used to use when I think either Jack Lanza or Blackjack Mulligan used to put the claw on people. And they put the claw on people and they would censor it because it was too violent to see. And kids, God, go, get away from the TV right now. And they'd put a big X across it and censor it. So that's what we did. And I think we might have even gone to black and white during it as well, which intensifies that effect and make it look a lot worse than it actually is. And it was a way to get a lot of heat on Ron Bass and give Beefer some, something to sink his teeth into. Man, you guys censored it. It was all I needed as a kid. I was sold because you thought you were, you were something horrible that happened to your hero, Brutus, the barber beefcake. Yeah. I can't lie. That's exactly what I thought. And as a result, um, beefer is out of his intercontinental title championship match against the honky tonk man for SummerSlam 88. So Ron Bass really ruined Brutus's run here. Womp, womp, womp. So the ultimate warrior steps in and beats honky's ass at SummerSlam 88. And we've got a new intercontinental champion WrestleFest 88 goes down on July 31st. I guess we should mention that we skipped that one. Brutus gets a win over Hercules. That's a pretty big show in Milwaukee, a stadium show. In fact, uh, but he's back working with bass through all the house shows in September and October, usually getting a win by either pinfall or disqualification. And then they do a king of the ring, which we've talked about before. It's not actually happening for the first time in 93 here in 88 on October 16th, DiBiase would beat Brutus in round one. And then he's back to working with bass on the house shows all the way through survivor series, which in 88, he would team with blue blazer, Jim Brunzel, Sam Houston, and the ultimate warrior to take on bass, bad news, Brown, Danny Davis, Greg Valentine, and honky talk, man. Uh, Brutus would eliminate Davis and then he and honky are both eliminated by a double count out. But the big match that everybody remembers is December 7th. It's a Saturday night main event and it's Brutus taking on Ron Bass in a hair match. And this is uh, a pretty big number 
for Saturday night's main event. And it's a, it's a much bigger deal to have a match here than even on a pay-per-view from an exposure standpoint. What can you tell us about this Ron Bass Brutus beefcake match on Saturday night's main event? Well, it took a lot of convincing and it was Pat wanted to have the match. I wanted to have the match Vince not seeing the allure of a hair match. Didn't get it. God damn it. I don't get it. You cut somebody's hair. Who cares? But we, we pushed for it. We pushed heavily for the hair match of bass. They had a natural issue there and felt it would do an awful lot for beefcake's character and, and take him to the next level. Enter Dick Ebersol and Ebersol liked the attraction. He, he liked the stipulation on the match and felt it was a good attraction to be able to promote for Saturday night's main event, somebody's going to be shaved bald. And Ebersol got it. And that was something cool that you could promote. Somebody was losing their hair. Somebody was going to be humiliated and shaved bald uh, on Saturday night's main event. And that was the lure of the match where Beefcake finally got his comeuppance by beating Bass and shaving his head bald. So... It's a big deal. And you should probably go out of your way to check it out. December 7th, 1988 is when you can look up that Saturday night's main event. Um, the, the non battery powered trimmer being thrown out and this military grade razor. Woo. I still remember that as a kid. Let's talk about 1989, man. We're getting rolling here. Uh, he's working house shows with Rick rude, Ron Bass, Mr. Perfect and Ted DiBiase. He gets a, a win over Rick Rude in February on Saturday night's main event. He wins by DQ, and he's mostly working with Rude on his way to WrestleMania five. What did uh, Rude think of Brutus Beefcake? <laughs> Rick didn't particularly really like working with Beefcake. He felt that Beefcake was kind of clumsy, and Rude liked to work a little bit more solid of a match. So he wasn't crazy about it, but it was some of the best matches that Beefcake ever had. And Rick got the most out of him and Rick made him work hard every night. And Rick was going to do that. He was going to get it out of you one way or another. Well, speaking of getting it out of you one way or another, I feel like we should tell everybody about our friends over at bluechew.com because they're going to get it out of you one way or another too. Isn't that right, Bruce? Baby, you want to talk about sex and you want to talk about them really, some really, really good sex. I know you do. Talk to me, comrade. I know you do. You remember what you remember them days when you was always ready to go? You know, like the wind would blow and you was ready. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, baby. Well, listen, with Blue Chew, it can be like the old days all over again. Cause you can increase your performance and you get that little extra confidence that you need in the bedroom, baby. Bluechew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredient is Viagra in Cialis. So baby, you know they're gonna work, right? Uh-huh. And and it's a chewable, baby. So it, it works twice as fast as any any old pill that you gotta swallow. So you can be ready anytime, day or night. Now, it's prescribed online and it ships right to your door in like a little brown paper bag. Discreet, very discreet. Nobody gonna know but you, baby. That's <laughs> your little secret. No more doctor visits, no more waiting at the pharmacy. Best of all, no more awkwardness. That's right, awkwardness. Blue Chew is made in the USA, shipped direct, so it is cheaper than a pharmacy, baby. So you know what I'm going to do right now, Conrad? What's that? 
We got a special deal for our listeners. All right. You go on over to bluechew.com and your first shipment is F-R-E-E free, baby. All you got to do is use our special promo code REFL. All you got to do is pay $5 for shipping and go to bluechew.com, promo REFL, and you get your first, your very first shipment for free, baby, free. Dusty, thank free. you for coming on the show, man. But you've got to stop it. All this stuff isn't free, man. They're going to, like, give us a bill. We're supposed to be charging them to advertise. And, Dusty, you're giving away the store here. Listen, you go to B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W dot com. Use the promo code WRESTLE, and it's free, baby. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, baby. It's cheaper, it's better, and it's faster. And right now, for our listeners... It's F-R-E-E free, baby. Just pay the $5 shipping, I guess. We'll see how long this goes. Bluechew.com. All right, so after this, we start seeing Brutus working a lot with Ted DiBiase. Uh, and that's going to be because WrestleMania 5 is going down. And on April 2nd, 1989, we see a double countout after about 10 minutes. It does feel like it's just a filler match here. What'd you think of their WrestleMania five match million dollar man and Brutus beefcake, two of the most over characters, kind of a blah match when it just goes to a double count out though. Right? Well, I mean, you might've thought it was blah, but it was two of the biggest stars in the company at the time. So it was, it was a headline attraction. It was just two stars against each other. I know Ted, (laughs) Ted wasn't really crazy about, uh, being in that position, but it was a headline match. It was just two big stars against each other without any issue at all. And it was kind of flattering a plate full of piss. I don't know why, but it still makes me happy when you say that. So he starts working with Randy Savage and Greg Valentine on house shows through July. Uh, and he even gets a win over Savage by DQ on Saturday night's main event in July that in that year. Um, he finally gets an intercontinental title shot on August 4th against Rick rude. Uh, but rude maintains the belt because Brutus wins by DQ. And now we're setting up SummerSlam 89. <sighs> I can't wait to talk about this. Hulk Hogan is here. And of course he's going to be taking on his nemesis Zeus, but Zeus can't work a lick. So they put Randy Savage in there with him. So if it's going to be two guys on the opposite side of the ring, we've got to have somebody for Hulkamania to team with. And of everybody we could pick, we pick Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. Chat me up here, Bruce. This is, uh, this is the good old boy system. Is it not? Beefcake was over. And I I think that there were, you know, there's, there's people that want to use that as an excuse that it was the good old boy system. He was Hulk's buddy. So Hulk put him in that position, but Vince isn't going to put him in that position. If he's not confident that he's capable of being in that position, beefcake was over. He had been working with Ted, Ted, get him through a match. Obviously, you know, it's, you got, uh, 
there's no there's no way that Savage is going to let this thing suck. So there was two top guys, Beefcake and Hogan. And whether you think he sucked or not, he was over. And well, he was probably the second biggest baby face in the company. Well, I mean, we don't want to get crazy here. Well, they, again, you got warrior was your second biggest baby face. So that Thank you. take that one away from Thank you. Okay. You. Okay. But beefcake was next. I mean, we could have put dusty Rhodes in there. No. I mean, you said we couldn't have ultimate warrior. And we can't have, um, one of the singles, right? So we couldn't have like Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels was a tag team already. We couldn't have tried Bret Hart, right? No, you wanted to draw money. Oh, you wanted to have pay-per-view buys. So you take again, warriors already occupied. Listen to what you're saying. You wanted to draw money. So you couldn't use Bret Hart. You had to use Brutus beefcake. Yes. Oh, you wanted to use somebody that people would know on the outside that people would be able to recognize and beefcake was over and beefcake was one of the biggest stars in the company. Nobody's listening anymore. 1 million people just hit unsubscribe. No, they didn't because they know I'm right. Mm, man. Nobody's nobody's saying here that beefcake had great matches, but I'm telling you, he was over. So the way they get to this spot where he's supposed to be here is they start a little bit of a feud with him and Macho Man. Of course, they're playing off the movie, so it's a natural thing for Zeus to be across from Hulk Hogan, just as he was in No Holds Barred. But the way they start to get him over here into an angle with the Macho Man all happens on your show, the Brother Love show. Tell me about what you remember about that Brother Love episode where she first became scary Sherry. <laughs> Well, it was, you know, a lot of shit was just a, you didn't have the way that the business is today. You didn't have marquee matches on television and and everything didn't necessarily have to have an angle. And as you said, it was a natural with Zeus and Hulk Hogan. And you'd already started the issue with Savage and uh, Beefcake. So now the star of the show here, in my opinion, was Randy Savage. Savage was the one that kind of had to bring it all together. And Savage, Vince just felt it's a natural. Ooh, yeah, look into the eye of the madness. Uh-huh. Who's crazier and who has Hulk Hogan's number? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Freak out, freak out. First name Zeus. Doesn't have a last name. Oh, oh just call him the Z-Man. Uh-huh, not that Z-Man, Tony Schiavone. Don't get excited. Uh-uh. No, this is the original Z-Man, Zeus. You just put people together based on natural rivalries. And it was a time to bring Sherry in and just kind of put her with Savage and take it to that next level. And it was a beautiful, my God, marriage made in brother love heaven. Wow. I can't believe that you're saying it's a beautiful match. Uh, so I said, no, no, no. I said that the, the, the mayor, no, 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 no. Don't be put words in my mouth. I said, Savage and Zeus and Sherry was a beautiful marriage made in brother love heaven. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh-huh. First name, brother, last name, love. Zeus doesn't have a last name. British wrote in his book, we actually rehearsed the SummerSlam 89 main event of Hogan Brutus versus Savage Zeus the night before in an empty ring in the arena. That was something we never did in the WWF. Somehow Vince managed to have the whole place free of employees. So we were able to walk Zeus through everything he needed to do in order to help get Zeus ready for the pay-per-view. Something I don't think I'd ever really heard about until I read his book, which is available now at BrutusBeefcake.com. Tell me about this walkthrough the night before it's necessary, of course, because Zeus isn't a trained wrestler, but it is kind of revolutionary for the business at a time when everybody still called it in the ring, right? Well, yeah, you're not about to call it in the ring with Zeus. I was trying to call shit in the ring when it was just the two of us in the ring. And he was asking me, were you talking to me? So that wasn't going to happen at all. Zeus was an actor. He was, he was used to acting and hitting his marks and not really having any physicality whatsoever. Uh, Tidy Lister, big physical guy, football player. He was an athlete, but he was an actor and he had never wrestled before. So this was all new to him. And he was used to making motions and having people fly through walls and, and things of that nature. So you had to walk him through it, man. You had to rehearse it. You had to make sure literally every single step that Zeus took in that ring had to be rehearsed. It had to be laid out precisely. No, tiny. You only take three steps. Don't take four, take three steps. Stop here. They're going to find you. Um, and the guys had to work all around him and he had to listen to Randy, but that was imperative for that match to be what it was because you didn't have a professional in there. You didn't have somebody that had the second nature to know what the hell to do in a wrestling ring. So you had to rehearse it ad nauseum. So let's talk a little bit about the actual match. August 28th, Meadowlands. What'd you think? I thought at the end of the day, we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. We sold no holds barred. We got Zeus in the ring. It was a novelty and people, people had a natural curiosity about this big bastard because he looked menacing as hell. The movie made him look like a monster. He was a monster when he walked out in his big platform heels. Um, it just wasn't a wrestler. So we didn't build him as a wrestler. We built him as a monster. And I think that we delivered in that role and the match was, was Hulk and beefcake and savage and Sherry. Another reason Sherry's involved in it. So Sherry can fly all around and do all the other bullshit, but it protected Zeus and it, it, people got what they paid for. They got a monster. Well, they did indeed. And the monster allegedly would lose focus of what he was doing in the ring. And Brutus wrote in his book that the way they would sort of get him to focus again and uh, come out of character is to yell free James Brown, because allegedly Zeus is a big uh, music fan. And at the time, James Brown had been arrested many times, uh, assault, drugs, weapons, high speed chase. And when they just kept yelling free James Brown, it would sort of snap Zeus out of it. Uh, and he would be able to focus again after this match. Uh, Brutus is working house shows with Randy Savage again. 
Rick Martel, Mr. Perfect, and even Dino Bravo on some house shows. Uh, King of the Ring 89, he loses in the first round again, this time to Akeem. Let's get the Survivor Series of 89. It goes down to the Rosemont in Illinois. Uh, Brutus teams with Dusty Rhodes here and Red Rooster and Tito Santana to take on Bad News Brown, Rick Martel, Big Boss Man, and Honky Tonk. Brutus himself eliminates Honky and Rick Martel. And then Dusty and Brutus are the sole survivors of the match. So Dusty and Polka Dots, sole survivor with a wrestling barber. You think that's Dust- right, baby? I got I got sprinkled a little stardust on the beef, if you will, baby. You know, maybe maybe give me a little bit of shine. He's working with Martel after Survivor Series and all the way through uh, mid December on the house shows. And then, of course, we've talked about the match, the movie for No Holds Barred. It's a steel cage match that was taped in Nashville. And it's Zeus's last appearance in the WWF on a Thank show, God. on a show like that. What sort of payday does a guy like Brutus get? If you had to freestyle, I mean, it's not really a pay-per-view, but it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure he was taken care of. It was for those guys. Yeah, it was a pay-per-view and it was something that that was the allure of that pay-per-view was for that match because the movie had run its course. Yes. It was the debut of the movie on pay-per-view venues, but there wasn't a whole lot of confidence on the movie itself, getting a lot of pay-per-view buys and people, you know, putting down their dollar 99 or 99 cents, whatever the hell it was at that time to get a movie on pay-per-view. So Vince came up with this idea of, of actually having a match, a new match, that would accompany the debut of no holds barred, the movie on pay-per-view. And it was like, why have a Merry Christmas when you can have a no holds barred Christmas, no holds barred, the match, the movie only on pay-per-view. And it, you know, best I can recall, man, it actually did decent business because they wanted to, they thought they were getting something special with that match in the match. We were able to pre-record and edit. <laughs> so it wasn't live. It was pre-recorded and we had a chance to take it back to the studio, edit it and make it pretty for no holds barred. The match, the movie or the movie, the match, whatever the fuck it was. It's awesome. So let's talk about, um, Royal rumble, 1990 Brutus and genius go to a double DQ and Mr. Perfect hits Brutus with a chair after the match. What do you think of Lanny Poffo as the genius? Oh my God. I thought Lanny was great as the genius. Absolutely. I thought it was the taking that character, you know, Lanny as a baby face reciting poems, my opinion just didn't have a whole lot of legs. The, the poet laureate of the WWE didn't really just ring too many bells for anybody. Lanny came across as a heel. He came across like he was smarter than everybody else. And Lanny was the only one in on the joke. So to turn him into a genius and turn him into a heel, I thought was genius, pardon the pun, but putting him in the outfit and everything took it to the next level. And I thought gave a whole nother life to Lanny Poffo. February 2nd. Uh, this is a fun match here in Madison Square Garden. It's your main event. Hulk Hogan and Brutus taking on Mr. Perfect and the Genius. It is sort of funny that 
we know how much money Hogan and Savage have drawn together. And here, Hogan's drawing it with his brother, brother. And his tag yeah. team partner is his old gimmick brother, brother, which is amazing. WrestleMania six. Can't believe this is real. April 1st, 1990 at the sky dome. We've done a full show, something to wrestle.com all about WrestleMania six. Mr. Perfect so far has been perfect. He's never lost at anything. We've seen vignettes where he can throw a baseball to himself and or throw a football to himself and hit a home run every time and a hole in one I'm every still time. still a heel here. He couldn't do that shit. He was just he was just perfect on on doing strikes and and sinking shit. He couldn't throw him to himself just yet. That was you, you only learn that shit as a baby face. Listen to you. So, <laughs> fuck you for that. <laughs> it's true. As a heel, he was perfect doing shit. As a baby face, he could do it to himself. So you're a heel. <laughs> If you're just perfect and other shit, if you can do it to yourself, then you're a baby face. Well, here's the deal. If you're just doing it to yourself, then you're a baby face and you don't need blue chew. But if you're a heel and you want to do it to other people, you need some blue chew over blue chew.com. Get your first order for free. Just pay $5 shipping and handling. Get your gimmick going. Yeah. You can have a perfect undefeated streak too with blue chew. So. And this is where my issue comes in. Mr. Perfect man never lost. He doesn't lose to the ultimate warrior. Who's about to be the intercontinental and world champion at WrestleMania six. He doesn't lose to Hulk Hogan. Like everybody else did in the eighties. No, after all this build for years, he loses to Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. Why was Brutus the guy? Okay. Well, now that Hulk is going away to make a movie and warrior has taken the championship and now Hulk's going to go away for a summer beefcake automatically slides into that number two baby face slot. And why not Brutus beefcake Brutus, the barber beefcake. Well, It's a natural progression. No, it's not. Brutus Beefcake. It's like the king of the jungle. It's like the lion eats up all the little, the beavers and the gophers and the squirrels and the antelopes. Doesn't need to happen that way, but it did. And there's a story that I saw for the very first time in Brutus's book, which is available at BrutusBeefcake.com, that he's told, hey, after the match, you're going to get the win over perfect, but don't cut his hair, cut Lanny's hair, but nobody told Lanny. So Lanny makes a run for it towards the back. Brutus has to legitimately run and catch him and cut his hair. When he comes backstage, Savage is flipping the fuck out, going nuts. And he demands what the fuck was that? And then Brutus has to defend it and say, Hey, what are you talking about? And he says, you cut his fucking hair. He was running away. Why did you do that? And he says, it's not my fault. He was running away from the finish. And Randy says, what does that mean? And he says, ask your more Patterson. He's the one who called the finish. Strongwell told me, and it's obviously didn't tell your brother. He was running out of there right after the finish before it was done. So Randy 
is super fired up and now he wants to fight somebody somehow some way and in his book brutus says that strongbow was a pretty shitty agent and he blames this miscommunication on strongbow what do you remember about randy getting his feathers ruffled when lanny got a haircut unexpectedly randy was livid make no mistake about it randy was was pissed off he was livid he didn't know about it and he felt that beefcake was trying to take advantage of lanny um everybody you know from the agent meeting from the production meeting earlier on in the day all the way through the day you know the only people that didn't seem to know were apparently randy and i don't know if lanny knew or not but i could see uh jay strongbow not you know for either forgetting not maliciously not doing it but at the same time Jay wasn't a big fan of, of Lanny. He wasn't a big fan of, uh, beefcake and he certainly wasn't a big fan of Randy. So I don't know if, you know, it was a malicious deal. If it was a forgetful deal, uh, what have you, but there was definitely some miscommunication. And again, I don't know why, you know, Pat, (laughs) Pat, again, his name being thrown out there. Uh, If Jay was the agent, then it's Jay's responsibility to let everybody in the match know exactly what the hell they're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah, Lanny, but, uh, Randy was fucking pissed. Randy was livid. And I heard about the confrontation afterwards. What's the fallout from something like that? Well, at that point, you know, it's pretty much okay. Miscommunication. Sorry. Next, you know, beefcake didn't do anything that he wasn't told to do. And, you know, the heat goes back on Jay. Vince probably got involved. I know Randy cooled down fairly quickly because once Randy realized that, all right, it wasn't Beefcake just going into business for himself, Beefcake wouldn't have gone into business for himself. That part, I can assure you. So um, miscommunication, man, you got to chalk it up to a fuck up. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what we're trying to do here, uh, because we're trying to build Brutus up and that's evident and he's going to go down to the, uh, intercontinental quarterfinal. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the ultimate warrior can't be intercontinental and world champion. So they're having a tournament and on superstars, we see Brutus and Dino go to a double count out, which eliminates both guys from the tournament. I guess now you're going to say stop. What you said, Dino. Yeah. Spruce and perfect. Wasn't it? No. The fuck are you? I'm talking about April 23rd where Brutus and Dino go to a double count out and it eliminates both men from the tournament. You see, if Mr. Perfect was eliminated from the tournament, then he couldn't win the tournament. Does that make sense? That if you're eliminated, you can't win. So follow me here. Stop reading and start thinking here. When we're eliminating Brutus from the tournament, is that the reason he gets the win over Mr. Perfect that, Hey, sorry, Brutus, we're not going to put the strap on you, but we are going to let you end Mr. Perfect's winning streak. We're going to let you cut his manager's hair. It's going to set up a great return because you'll have a reason to say, I deserve a shot at the intercontinental title and I could have won and you get the big WrestleMania moment, but we think there's money in this Mr. Perfect character. So we're going to 
put the IC strap on him. Yeah, and he was a heel, and you wanted a babyface to chase him that could beat him that everybody has already seen beat him at WrestleMania. So it made sense. May 10th. He didn't need the belt. Oh, fuck. I hate when you say that. (laughs) Everybody online does. So you're saying Hogan needed the belt, right? Yeah. And Undertaker didn't need the belt. No. And Mr. Perfect needed the belt. It helped him. (laughs) I love it's just, hey, what day is it? Did he have it? Yeah, he needed it. Uh, He didn't have it. He didn't need it. Yeah, he didn't need it. It's amazing. May 10th. Brutus wins a 12 man battle Royal and he's working the genius on all the house shows through all the may. And then in June, I mean, almost all the way through it, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the 10th Brutus is beating the intercontinental champion, Mr. Perfect by count out and DQ all over the horn on July 1st, he wins against Mr. Perfect by disqualification. And it's his last match for three years. And he wrote in his book that the original plan was for him to beat Kurt at SummerSlam 1990 to win the Intercontinental title. Of course, that match doesn't wind up happening because of the accident. And instead, Kerry Von Erich has the match with Mr. Perfect and wins the title. Of course, he loses it right back to him. But clear up the rumor and innuendo. Was the plan to have Brutus beat Kurt at SummerSlam 90 for the world title or the Intercontinental title? Yeah, that was talked about. Yes. So yeah, that was definitely one of the plans that, that we had talked about was going to SummerSlam with them. And that's where you get your victory back. Let's talk a little bit about what happened on July 4th, 1990, which is why I put it on our schedule because we're, we're just upon the anniversary just a couple of days ago, the 28 year anniversary, man, it was like forever ago, but not that long ago. Tell me about when you first heard about Beefcake's accident. And it is one of the more famous out of the ring injuries in the history of wrestling, because nobody would believe that something like this could happen and that someone could return from it. Well, I think I first heard about, it. I want to say I first heard about it from Pat Patterson that, you know, obviously Vince had gotten a call and it was a, a pretty serious accident, obviously. And on 4th of July, trying to remember even where the hell I was because I, again, in my head, it was, it was Pat telling me, it's like, oh my God, you know, beefcake was, was hurt pretty bad. And he's in the hospital, he's in intensive care and they don't know if he's going to make it. Don't know what happened. Um, accident on the beach. And it, it kept saying, you know, parasailing accident. So you're, accident. So you're thinking the worst that he's, he's on the, the parasail. He fell. Nobody knows what happened and you're getting bits and pieces of it. But I remember on the, the very first thing we got was beefcake was in a serious accident, was in intensive care in Tampa and they didn't know if he's going to make it or not. It was ugly. So the actual accident, of course, happens during a parasite parasailing accident. Uh, a lady nails him right in the head and it's both of her knees square in the face. He wrote the impact was like a fucking battering ram. Her knees ripped me right out of the water. Nancy said, I did a full gainer, an entire backflip with my heels straight over my head before landing on my feet. And then I dropped to my knees. 
he talks about not being able to breathe because his entire face collapsed. Like all the meat in his head was pushing down on his mouth because all that was left in his face where there was bone is now powder, but there's no blood. He's not, he's not leaking. There's no, no one can see what's happening. It just looks like he got hit in the face, but he's okay. But in reality, his face has been crushed to the point that when they go to the x-ray, when they take him to the, uh, ER, they get him an ICU and do a bunch of x-rays and they can't believe that he's alive because the entire, his entire face has just been collapsed. And when, when the guy, when the first guy got to him, the, as it goes, they had to take his hand, the, the guy that, that got to him first, put it in what was beefcake's mouth and hold open so that he could get air because his face, as you said, it just basically collapsed. I mean, he took this full, full force of both her knees right into his face and there was nothing to support. He had no jaw. He had no nasal cavity. He had no nose. His nose was, was just a piece of meat hanging down and, and beefcake doesn't know what's wrong. And, And he's, he can't see, he can't breathe. And the first thing that this guy did was like put his, his hand and have to pry his, what was his mouth and hold it open so that he could even get a breath. And so he could, he could breathe before the ambulance got there. It's pretty unbelievable that this happens. I mean, they have to peel his face down like a latex mask beyond his nose and they show him pictures. He says, without skin, I just look like a bowl of spaghetti. You can't even tell what you're looking at. It was a hollowed out mess. I mean, wow. It's just hard to imagine that this happens and that the guy wrestled again. Well, yeah. I mean that the guy lived right. (laughs) When you, I saw a couple of the pictures from when they, you know, when he first came in and they took everything off and it, it's like looking at mush. It's, it's just, it's almost like looking at, at, a, at a plate of uh, marinara sauce or something. It, there was no form, no nothing. If you didn't know that you were looking inside someone's face, you, you wouldn't know. It, it was really, really grotesque. And they had to call out and, and find experts and, and just who the hell's an expert at, at reconstructing a face. It wasn't something, it wasn't a technique that was readily done. And you're in Tampa, 4th of July holiday. And they're, they're looking for someone at this point just to keep him alive. And they're not thinking about, Oh, will he look the same? They're thinking about, is this guy going to live through the night? Because, how do we get the, you know, the air to him? And there, there's no, there's no jaw. There's no teeth. There's no, there's nothing to support his face. It's, it's, it's just been crushed into, it's been obliterated. And they're trying to keep him alive, much less figure out what the hell do we need to do next? We need plastic surgeons in here. We need, we need a whole team of people to be able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again and hope and hope that he's going to be able to have a normal life after that. 
hope that he's going to be able to breathe on his own, hope that all this stuff is going to come back. But nobody knew at that point. It was, it was really, really touch and go. So they have to put together like a maze of metal and then wire everything together with bone graphing. And they harness bone from the back of his skull to repair the face and then patch over the hole in his head with like some sort of Bondo drywall type of shit. And Brutus would say there's eight strips of titanium zigzagging all across the internal surface of his face, 32 screws, more than a hundred feet of wire, more than a hundred staples. His jaws are wired strut. He's got dozens of prickly structures in the roof of his mouth to hold everything open. His eyelids are sewn together and he can't breathe. So he's on a tracheotomy and on a breathing machine. He's got a tube down his throat just to make sure that, you know, nothing's happening in there either. The idea that this guy's ever going to wrestle again is the last thing people are worried about. It's a miracle. He lived, um, allegedly though. Everybody is rooting for him. Hulk Hogan's there. Lots of guys from the company are there. Is this just the talk of the entire company when this happens? Yeah, because it it was, you know, it was real tragedy. It was a freak accident and overnight, you know, his, his life has changed and people are wondering whether or not, you know, what's going to happen out of this. And Nobody, nobody had the answers, you know, they're, they're, they're reconstructing his face and they're, they're trying to rebuild him, if you will. And the, the biggest thing is, is I don't think anybody was thinking, oh my God, is he going to wrestle again? There was talk of, you know, is he going to live? And if he does live, what's, what's that quality of life going to be? And there was even talk about, you know, is there any brain damage? His eyelids were sewn shut. So for all this time that, that he's recovering, his eyelids have been sewn shut so that he doesn't, you know, open his eyes and screw up all the stuff that they've had because of all the muscles and everything else in there. Um, they put him into a coma and in, induced a coma and they're trying to wake him up gradually because when he wakes up, he's not going to be able to open his eyelids. He's not going to know where he is. He's not going to know what the hell happened. All he's going to know is that he's in a lot of pain and he's in darkness. And that was where Hulk came in. Hulk flew in. I think Hulk was, was having a, his second child at the time, I believe, or first child. I'm, somebody's going to correct me on that, I'm sure. Um but Hulk could come in so that when he did come to that Hulk could kind of calmly talk him through where he was, what happened, stay calm and kind of carry him through the process. And that, you know, it's, it's shit like this where when you hear people just really dog Hulk about, you know, different stuff and everything, the human being that, that I've come to know over the years is a really good human being. And he's somebody that cares for his family and cares for his friends and does go out of the way to take care of people. And this is a good example of him going out of his way to make sure that his friend, uh, going through a horrible, horrible, uh, life changing event, he was there for him and he didn't have to be, but it was, it was touch and go. And it was on a day by day basis of, you know, getting an update on Brutus and what, what the next prognosis is, what the hell's going on. 
it, it is incredible. This recovery story, and he's got all the details here in his book at brutusbeefcake.com. But he talks about how he had all this droopy skin on his face because you got to remember they had to peel his face down in order to do this surgery. And so when they put it back up, when it's time to like unsew his eyelids, they have to have somebody else pull the skin tight. He's like a Sharpe puppy here just so they can unsew his eyes. And when he gets his trach out, Hulkster decides, Hey, it's time to get you walking around, man. So he wants to get him down the hallway and let him do a little bit of walking to sort of get some blood flowing and get some movement. So he's not just laying up there atrophying. And he says, he's encouraging him. Of course you're doing it, brother. And just as he says that Brutus writes in his book, his fucking right eyeball just falls out of the socket and is hanging on his cheek, like an old man's dangling testicle. And, and then Hulk threw coffee in the other one. That's a callback to the Vader episode for you. Surely. <laughs> and obviously Hogan doesn't want to sell it for him. So he just says, Oh shit, brother, which I think is hilarious. I mean, it, it, it is funny, but it's not funny. You know, there's a long time here where people don't think he's going to make it and he can't communicate because he's got a trach and he's got a tube in his throat and you know, his face is barely even there. So they're giving him like a sketch pad to write on, to communicate with people. And the first thing he writes is, well, somebody unstaple my fucking ear because in order to put his face back on, they had to go like almost like a pair of headphones all the way across your head with staples. So there's 148 of them in total, but one of them stapled his ear to his body, which is hilarious. Um, and everybody finds that hysterical that the first thing he communicated is, will somebody unstaple my fucking ear. So eventually, you know, lots of people come visit him, Sherry and other people. He has an opportunity to leave the hospital and somehow begin recovery. But one of the things that a lot of people don't think about when you talk about a story like this is that, yeah, Hey, it's great that you got put back together again, but this shit's expensive. And through the course of your life, you've seen how ridiculous some of these hospital expenses huh. can be when Brutus you know, finds out that through some miracle in all the acting stuff he's done with Hulk Hogan on some of the movies and whatnot, specifically no holds barred. And he even admits in the book, he didn't take that seriously. And he realized he wasn't going to get paid a lot of money to do it. So he just didn't, he just sat in the back and drank coffee and thought, well, Hey, if I'm not going to get paid well to do it, I'm just not going to do it. But he does enough of it to get a screen actors guild membership. And because he's got a SAG card, he now has insurance and this is a lifesaver to say the least. Right, Bruce? Well, yeah, because it's taking care of all this mess and it's without that. I mean, he would probably still be paying for it to this day. And it's, yeah, thank God. <laughs> you know, thank God that that it was taken care of in that regard. He made another deal with the hospital where if he would go to the Shriners and speak to sick kids, then they would help him with some more of the bill. 
So it's going to be like a million dollars down to something like a hundred grand. And the Shriners are going to help pay for the majority of all this, which is just really a miracle because usually when you recover from something like this, you, you may be physically repaired, almost good as new, but you're financially never the same, right? Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it's something that comes back to you forever. Uh, just can't, it can be a bad deal. And thank God it, it, it was, it was not in this case. So one of the things he saw was the scans of his head afterwards and knowing what we know now about CTE, this is another era here, right? The doctor tells yeah. him you've got a stage three, you had a stage three concussion and this is the brain scan of a 10 year veteran boxer. This is a protective membrane, like a cushion. Now I'll show you yours. And he says, there's practically no damage to the membrane. And Brutus says, how do you explain that? And the doctor says, that's just it. I can't. The amount of damage doesn't even make sense to me. And Brutus is sort of unclear and says, that's good, right? And the doctor says, actually, it's impossible. The only way I can explain it is that it's a miracle. Now, obviously they didn't have the sophisticated scans that they do these days. But the idea that they still knew, you know, what they, a little something about concussions and they could identify that, yes, you had one, but you're not nearly as bad off as we may imagine is a miracle. Is it not? There's no other way to describe it because he took, he took the force that actually destroyed his face. And that's just not a, she's not saying it just, well, he destroyed his face, destroyed his face. And everything underneath it. So the fact that there was no additional brain damage and membrane damage, it is simply a miracle. And there's all sorts of weird stuff for like nine months when he leaves the hospital. He has to sleep sitting up. He can't lay down. If he's in bed and drops a remote control off the bed and he leans over to get it, blood just pours out of his nose like a faucet. I mean, things are not supposed to be this way, but it sure does beat the alternative. He's on painkillers and morphine. And he says they barely help because his entire skull is broken. And he just holds ice on his face all day until it melts. And then just another one, one after another. And this is a miserable way of life. So although everybody's happy to see him out of the hospital, what sort of reports are you getting when he's out and now more miserable than ever? Well, first of all, I think people were thankful that he was alive. Um, but now you're just trying to figure out what's next for him and what the hell is he going to do next? It did feel for a long time there that every time that he turned one corner, that there was a roadblock in front of him that he had to overcome and that he had to figure it out. So, well, they said, okay, this is fixed. Something else got broken in the process. Um, it just was a long, long road. And this is terrible to say, but it became on, on my part and a lot of people's part out of sight, out of mind. Because he, he wasn't a part of discussions anymore other than occasionally when you, you, know, when you see Hulk, it's like, hey, how's Beefcake doing? 
and you would get a progress report and then it was move on business as usual. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, unfortunately, out of sight, out of mind. So there weren't at this time, there weren't those daily updates. He was, he was out of the woods. He was home. And now it's, it's that long, it's that long recovery process. And, you know, we'll see you when, when we see you. And if we're down in Tampa and you can come on down to the show, Hey, be great to see you. But the reality of the situation was that, that we were kind of moving on. Well, let's talk about who he turns to. And you probably know where this is coming. Hogan wants to get him back rolling again. He says everything he has to eat has to be liquefied and he can't have any milk or any sort of dairy products for that matter. And he's going from like 250 when the accident happens down to 195 and he's so weak he can't even walk upstairs without help. So eventually they give him the okay that it's okay for him to move out of his buddy Mike's house and he can go stay with Hulk Hogan for a while. He was living with Mike because everybody agreed he needed somebody to just keep an eye on him to make sure he didn't try to sleep the wrong way or sit the wrong way or lay the wrong way. Because if he did, it could be a real situation. So he goes to stay with Hulk and he writes that there's no chance you're going to lose weight hanging out with Hulk Hogan. Hogan decides to go the extra mile and he writes about all this in his book at brutusbeefcake.com that Hogan found a miracle drug for him. Now, a lot of people are going to laugh at this. He says, I pounded as much Hulk Hogan protein powder as my stomach could handle. I started to become alive again. That was not all. However, Hogan helped me locate some extra good vitamins to help me heal up from the accident. He knew everybody. So when he decided to look for a miracle drug that could really help me, it wasn't long before he had an answer. What happened was Hulk put me in touch with someone who knew this doctor in the Bahamas who ran some sort of weird anti-aging clinic. The doctor was legit though. He was also at the same time doing groundbreaking stuff to help cancer patients. And while doing all this, he was experimenting with a brand new thing called human growth hormone, an HTH steroid medication that we couldn't get yet here in the United States. The HGH drug was supposed to heal cancer and other diseases, but also be extremely instrumental in the healing process after major surgeries to build muscle. Once I got the information from the doctor, I learned it was going to cost about $14,000 for this new miracle drug that nobody knew anything about. I was skeptical about spending so much, but Hulk didn't care what it was going to cost. He grabbed the phone from me, took out his credit card and immediately ordered this weird stuff that nobody really knew all that much about here in the States yet. This was 1990 while steroid use was popping up in the eighties. HCH wouldn't be seen at all in the States until 1991. Nobody really knew what to expect. And I felt like a lab rat, but I didn't care. I was such a mess at the time. I was willing to try anything. When the wonder drug came, I started taking the doses and rehabbing hard. We made sure to get to the gym every day. We worked very hard to get me well. And the mindset was to get my body healthy and to take the growth steroid to heal up my face. But my face is not all that it helped. That drug was insane. While at Mike's place, my body had shrunk. I was out of the gym for an injury so much time. I'd gotten really small, but the moment after I started taking this medication, the growth hormone was building muscles in my face and also muscle all over my body. I could see it right away. The combination of my Hulk Hogan workout and that wonder drug was ridiculous. 
My atrophy was reversing before my very eyes and I gained over 30 pounds in six weeks. You do the math. So he's talking about the miracle of HGH and we haven't talked about this much here on the show, but HGH has been something that's been pretty controversial in wrestling. And for that matter, UFC and lots of different combat sports. When did you first hear about HGH? And does it surprise you that one of the first people to figure it out was Hulk Hogan with a doctor in the Bahamas? Well, I don't really know all that much about it. I, I remember when we first heard of HGH and no different than steroids. I'm a firm believer that steroids, when they're prescribed by a doctor and taken the way that they're supposed to be taken, are beneficial to help aid in recovery and rebuilding muscle mass and helping people from injuries. When you abuse them and use them for other things, then that's where it gets kabuki-ish, not under the care of a doctor or the proper care of a doctor. And I would have to say the same thing about HGH. And since I'm not a doctor, I, I don't really know one way or another, but it was obviously something that, that worked and helped rebuild the muscle tissue and helped him rehab a whole hell of a lot quicker. No different than anabolic steroids, which did the same thing. So again, using a doctor and there's a lot of, you know, alternative medicine out there. Uh, whether it be in the Bahamas or Mexico or Canada, wherever they're Germany, wherever the hell it is, you know, there's a lot of alternatives out there and there's some things that are good, some things that are bad, but it, it was something that was brand new. And I think beefcake was looking for anything for an edge to kind of get him, get him over the hump here. Well, it started happening and it's pretty incredible that he's going to be able to rehab his body like this. And that HGH is the miracle drug that helps make it happen. But he does tell stories about how easy it is for him to be almost like a, a free bleeder. He tells lots of stories of when something relatively minor happens, but because of the situation he's in with all the reconstructive surgery, blood is just pouring from him at, at any instance. And even jokes in his book that, after being with Ron Bass, this wasn't that new for him. Uh, what do you remember about when people start talking about him coming back, the delicacies that you might have to have with a guy who's had a surgery like this and this significant trauma? Well, there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of questions as to, you know, what ifs and yeah, he had rebuilt his face, but there was no, there was nothing to say. Well, his doctor may say, hey, man, you're good as gold. You can go run your face through a brick wall. It's not going to harm you at all. I don't think that there were any other doctors that would put their reputation on the line, having not done the surgery, having not knowing everything about beefcake and what had transpired to make that recommendation. So it was, we were getting a lot of opinions from a lot of different people. Um, plus you have where you think about, Okay, if he gets hurt again or a freak accident on our watch, what are the ramifications there? So there's the legalities of it too. Does Beefcake sign a waiver and and say that you know you're released and indemnified if any accident were to happen? All those conversations were taking place, and people kind of thinking, first of all, it's a hell of a story. It's a hell of a comeback story for Beefcake. 
Um, people are going to be happy to see him back. They're going to be behind him, and it's it's a miracle and it's a great story. But the jury was still out for a while. Let's talk about how he comes back. He's on the phone with Vince, and he says, "I'd like to get in the ring again, maybe just a little bit at a time to see." And Vince suggests, "What if we had you do some sort of run-ins or something to see what you think?" something off the storyline in case you aren't ready yet. So, and we've had this question pop up before in early 91, there's a series of run-ins that are never really explained. Some of them are with uh, furry shit. Some of them are with masks. <laughs> um, tell us about these d- different various run-ins that were happening here because they're never really named or explained, but now we're learning through the book available now at brutusbeefcake.com that it's really just a way to get him comfortable with being back in the ring because everybody's got to be nervous that any sort of impact or anything that could go wrong could end the dude's life. So chat me up about this whole run in gimmick, at least what you can remember before you got shit canned. Well, the idea was eventually they would reveal it as Brutus beefcake and that he was hiding his identity and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that the, <laughs> you know, the very beginning we weren't really doing anything to, to hide his body or, or just to disguise him that much other than the mask. Yeah. He wore a bunch of different shit and wild stuff and ran out and did some crazy mannerisms. And the idea was, was that he did the headbutt and the headbutt was what would, incapacitate people. But from the very beginning, I think that there was a large segment of the audience that knew it was beefcake. You know, they kind of recognized, recognized him and it was more confusion than curiosity. So for that reason, more than anything and in thinking, all right, what the hell do we do with it is, is why it didn't continue on. Well, there you go. There's the mystery. He even goes to his man, Michael Braun and has him make some like fur over his gloves and kick pads and a mask. And he's got like executioner tights and white skulls on the legs and an ax on the other. And informally he's calling himself fur face. And he's really like the man with no name. He's done different versions here, you know, uh, fur face, the mariner run in man, mystery man. They're just trying to have fun with this. And, and Brutus said, Vince was totally cool. He was very sympathetic about my situation, though. He had a reputation for rushing people off the injury list before they were off and ready. He did not do that with me. He knew I'd gone through some very serious shit to his credit. There was absolutely no pressure. He let me decide if it was a full-time return or not. Do you remember having conversations with Vince about how you guys were going to handle this and why his approach was maybe a little softer with this injury? Well, I think Vince was probably softer because of Hulk and there was a lot of empathy there with beefcake and Vince wanting to make something work for him and be able to do something for the guy in the wrestling business that he loved. Beefcake so badly wanted to be back and be back in the business in some some way. So Vince was trying to make something work, but I also think 
after a couple of weeks that Vince felt this isn't going to work. There was hesitation in Beefcake. And like we said, you know, Beefcake wasn't always known for his great matches. And now you add into that the reconstructed face and the fear of of another bad injury, the uneasiness and the tentativeness of Beefcake wasn't a good combination. Well, let me ask this. He sort of freestyles that the original plan was to have him reunite after he unmasked at WrestleMania seven and start up a dream team reunion with Greg Valentine. And he wrote quote, this would actually have been pretty cool. Well, I fucking disagree. Mr. Beefcake that would have sucked and I'm glad it didn't happen, but was that pitched to the best of your recollection? A dream team reunion. Never, ever heard that. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about when he goes back to the doctor, you know, he's, he's doing some run-ins and he's unsure about whether or not he's, he's even able to do a full-time schedule. So he goes to the doctor just to run it past him and just see where we are. And the doctor gives him some news he hadn't expected. He says that nature has healed his face even stronger than it was before. And now, because he's got all this reinforcement with this flexible titanium, he says he's practically indestructible quote, seriously, a headbutt really isn't going to do much to your face. All the screws in place would probably hold everything together this time. If you were to say, have another horrible accident, like the last one, I can't say on the record that it's actually stronger, but between me and you, you're Superman. You could probably put your head through a steel wall and everything would stay together. Did you ever hear this, this version that now that he's got all this metal in his face, instead of it being super sensitive, it's actually the other way. Well, I've I've heard beefcake say that. And I heard, you know, even Hulk say that as well. The, the philosophy and the concept makes sense that it's, it's stronger and you know, it's all made of titanium and it's strong as hell. The reality of the situation is that even when he was doing the stuff under the mask, he was tentative and he wasn't the same. And there was still that fear of something going wrong. And not, not really knowing, not knowing exactly what the hell you had. So other than his doctor, I don't think that his doctor ever would have cleared him and, and ever said that, you know, maybe he said that to, to beefcake in a private moment, but there certainly weren't any other doctors that were willing to put their reputation and say, no, nah, he's fine. Right. So Bruce even writes in his book here that Vince had essentially hired him at this point to just be Hogan's personal assistant. Um, he would call ahead make arrangements for security. Anytime Hogan had an appearance, whatever. And Vince basically tells him just travel with Hulk and help him until you're ready to get back in the ring. Quote, he didn't have to, but he gave me a job and I wasn't exactly ready to get back in the ring. And he gave me money to live on too. I can't put him over enough for helping me out. I went on the road with Hulk and did behind the scenes stuff around this time. Hogan signed a movie deal to film suburban commando. And that meant not only was I handling his needs for appearances, but also on a movie set. Since I had my SAG card, it was a very easy transition to pick up some work handling scenes for Hogan in his absence. I picked up a gig as Hulk's body double and also as a stuntman role. And he can't help himself. And he says, cause we all know Hogan didn't want to take a bump brother. 
So he's giving Vince a lot of props for keeping him on payroll, but can we just call it like it is here? This is Hulk doing this, right? I mean, I understand that Vince may be the one writing the check, but at the same time, Vince isn't writing it because well, Hulk really needs an assistant. He's trying to keep his top star happy and take care of his buddy, right? He was, and it was Hulk, you know, wanting to make sure the beefcake was taken care of. And it was, you know, realistically, you're going to put beefcake out there to do all of this stuff for Hulk when arguably, you know, beefcake was just as popular, not as popular as Hulk, but yeah, he was over and he was just as popular and coming out and doing this stuff, people were recognizing Brutus, and it, and it was it was also troublesome. But because Hulk wanted to take care of him, and Vince also wanted to take care of him, that that's what they did. You know, it was like take care of him, give him a job, and give him something to do. And then when Hulk was doing all the other stuff, it was a natural fit for Beefcake to be a stand-in and be a double for all that stuff that that Hulk was doing on set. Talk to me a little bit about you defend. I mean, I need you to try to defend the silliness that just fell out of your mouth when you said he was as popular as Hulk Hogan. I'd say he's as popular. I said that he was popular and people were recognizing him. So while Beefcake is the one trying to clear the way, you, you would normally want a nondescript guy doing all of that stuff. You want a manager type that's going to go handle everything and not someone that is also going to draw attention. And Beefcake being a big guy, being Brutus the Barber Beefcake, uh, was going to draw attention. I feel like we should mention here uh, that this book, with all the silliness, uh, is available for purchase at BrutusBeefcake.com. Well, I'm putting it over because it's, it's maybe the best wrestling book I've read in a while. I mean, I enjoyed at the very beginning of the year... JR and Jericho's book. Uh, but this is the best. I mean, the next best one that nobody's talking about. Uh, but anyway, it's a British They will after this show. Good. Well, I hope so. I know. Let's talk, let's talk about, um, the barbershop because Brutus wrote in his book that this is Vince's idea. And since he's not really ready to take bumps, this is a great way to keep you on TV. But he says in the meantime, he's gotten in the best shape of his life and he's bigger than he was before. Thanks to all the training and the prayers and the vitamins. Oh, and the HDH. So he's like 265 pounds. So none of his old stuff fits anymore. So he has to rush and get some new gear put together. And the barbershop is born. Uh, Earthquake is the first guest. What'd you think of the way the barbershop came together? I know some of this happens you know, when you're not really there, cause it happens in the spring of 91 and the last one is February 92. Did you see any of these barbershops or just the first ones? Oh, unfortunately I saw a lot of them. Okay. I, I thought they sucked. Really? I, yeah, really I, and truly. I, I liked it. Um, here's why I think they sucked. First of all, beefcake size, right? He, he looked better and he was bigger than a lot of the talent that he's interviewing. It's a babyface deal. I feel that those interview segments are better better with a heel slant and someone smaller and not, not a physical guy. Beefcake was a physical guy. 
I didn't think Beefcake was a good promo. I didn't think that he was good as as far as being able to put words in people's mouths and being able to carry the segment. The talent that was on the barbershop usually had to carry the segment. I just didn't think they were good. And I'm prejudiced. Uh, I like Piper's Pit. I like the funeral parlor. I loved my stuff. Um, but I like I like the heel slant on those right. type of segments. No, that makes total sense. And you make a lot of good points. And and by the way, Brutus can't help but put himself over in the book. He writes, some of the boys in the back were saying I was giving the ultimate warrior a run for his money. And he's saying this because he's saying he's huge. He says his uh, arms, thighs, everything is twice as big uh, as it was before the accident. Well, maybe not everything. He has everybody on these segments though. You know, Andre, the giant, Jake, the snake, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase, Legion of doom. But there's one segment everybody remembers above all else for the barbershop, right? That would be the, and I was there for that in San Antonio, Texas, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. And I think that's the only barbershop <laughs> that people really remember. Well, I remember the last one too. That's in February 92. Uh, the new, the newly heel Sid justice comes out and attacks him, destroys the set and the shaving cream just explodes all over Sid's face. Uh, and by the way, Brutus did not like that. Um, I was supposed to cower away from him when he went nuts. The producer said, don't challenge him. We want him to look like a monster. The thing about it was he was looking like a monster, but at my expense in this case, I wasn't just helping him to get over for his upcoming match with the Hulkster. I was pretty much jobbing out. Believe me, if I could have changed anything, I would have. If I tried to look good, I would have lost my job. Maybe I should have. My contract was up anyway. And the whole point of destroying the set was because they knew I was off to do a movie soon. And this is how they wrote me off television. And he takes off like a year here and does Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan. Before we talk about Mr. Nanny. I know you weren't there, but you saw this Sid barbershop. What'd you think? Well, really the only part I, I remember about it was the shaving cream exploding, getting all over Sid, which was absolutely tremendous, but everything that beefcake just wrote as far as that's why the barbershop isn't a good segment because he thinks as a former wrestler that he's got to bow up to somebody and that he shouldn't cower down to somebody. That's the role of someone doing that type of an interview segment is to cower down and to be that chicken shit and to be the guy you can't hit me. Um, and to be, be a chicken shit. And it puts a baby face in an awkward shitty position to where if you're going to be in that position to get a top heel over, then yeah, you need to be subservient and get your ass kicked. And if you can't do that, you don't belong in that role. And I just don't think he ever belonged in that role. So he goes and does a year off here for Mr. Nanny. What's your favorite scene in Mr. Nanny? The one with Mr. Jefferson, George Jefferson, and they were moving on up to the big time. Is it, was that Mr. Nanny? No. Moving on up, moving on up. So right. Bruce took 92 off and says in early 93, Vince wants him back on TV. And he calls him up and asks him to come back for Monday night raw. And you know where this is going. We've talked about this on our Monday night raw episode available now in the archives at something They're really using the injury from the accident in a storyline here for Ted DiBiase and IRS money incorporated. And they're going to do an interview on raw announcing his open contract and his 
return to the ring. And he's really going to be the catalyst for Hulk Hogan's long awaited return. Tell us about what happened here. <laughs> what really happened or uh, I haven't read beefcakes version of this story, but, um, yeah, this was, this was Hulk's idea of a way to come back and also to bring beefcake back and get some sympathy to be able to bring Hulk Hogan back. So, uh, Hulk wasn't looking to work a full-time schedule at this point. And he obviously wasn't, we were going to do this and figure out what the hell he was going to do from there. But at this point in time, the idea was you bring Brutus beefcake back. You talk about a big return to the ring, this reconstruction of his face, the big bad heels come out, smash beefcake in the face full on and break his face all over again. And dun 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 to the rescue. Here comes the Hulkster brother. What you gonna do? Um, the I, I'll never forget it, man. It was the Manhattan Center, and the idea was we had a had like a Visine bottle, and it was Beefcake. All he had to do was take the Visine bottle, squirt it up his nose, and have like the blood come rushing out of his nose. And it's like, oh my God, you know, and you you cover up his face. Um, the the hit with the briefcase was completely safe with, uh, DiBiase and Rotunda doing it. But beefcake was apprehensive about using the, the Hollywood blood and using the, the Visine bottle to get it. Did, well, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what you want me to do. And as you see in it, you actually see Pat Patterson have to come out and, and do it for him, cover him up like, Oh my God. And do the blood gimmick for beefcake. Cause he, for whatever reason was apprehensive about doing it and didn't want to do it. So that's what, you know, happened that day. And I remember just going back and forth all day with like, man, it's easy. Just squirt it up your nose. Well, I don't know. I don't know people. And that's why we had Pat run down and actually do it for him. Pretty amazing. When you go back and you watch this, of course, as a kid, I was totally bought into this. Um, I remember exactly where I was when this happened and, the gimmick is with the Halliburton, everybody's sort of nervous about it. But as we said, he's reinforced, he's really fine, but they test it early in the day. See, it has some give and figure they're good to go, but the crowd isn't really ready for it. Here's what Meltzer wrote. Um, beefcake said he was going to return to the ring and talks about his parents dying, his accident and his wife leaving him and taking all of his money. This didn't come across that well live as the crowd was really sarcastic in its response to him. And the reaction when he brought Hogan's name up was about 50% booze. It is pretty, pretty interesting here that this didn't go over as well. When you go back and you watch this, if you, I don't know if they've sweetened it up years later, but it, it wasn't really the effect they were looking for. You're in the back when this promo is going down. What are you and Vince thinking when you're hearing the reaction? Oh God. Um, I think the most, the most shocking reaction was the reaction to, to Hogan. And we, we really anticipated a bigger baby face pop and that Manhattan center crowd, those cynical bastards, man, I love them <laughs> because they're going to tell you what they think. And they were, they were sick of, of, you know, Hulkamania running wild and they weren't, they weren't happy. Had we done the same promo in Omaha or St. Louis or San Francisco, man, I think they would have popped like crazy 
for the announcement of Hogan. And they would have popped, seen Beefcake. But that New York crowd, they they weren't buying it. And I don't think it helped talking about his wife leaving him and taking all of his money because that didn't really elicit a whole lot of sympathy from people. It was more, ah, good, fuck you. And that's my record. That's where they turned on him. And it was like, don't tell us about that bullshit. Okay, you got your face. You're back. Great. Come on back. Well, you guys had a um, a mask made for him. He's fitted for a protective mask just to be safe. And this is Vince McMahon's suggestion here. And he says that they've made two types of masks. One that's a more flexible material, like a rubber-like substance, and another that's like a lightweight metal alloy, like hardened fiberglass whose idea was this that you recall and is this them trying to play off of you know the terminator because that terminator 2 movie had just blown up are you guys trying to do some sort of you know half metal whatever here as a play off of the popularity of that movie or where did the the idea for this come from we were already playing off of that with the reconstruction of beefcake space and, and not necessarily the Terminator movie. We had a real life situation with a guy who had had his face completely reconstructed of titanium and all these, this metal and all these screws and shit. But the, the mask was Vince's idea for safety thought that it would alleviate beefers reluctance in the ring and you know, let him know, Hey man, you're, you're safe. Anything touches you. Plus it was playing off storyline with money Inc nailing him in the face and saying, you know, this isn't going to happen. And just to kind of feed into that baby face beefcake and Hogan deal, make it different. We did the red and yellow and all that shit and painted it up to just to make it different. Hope, hopefully give a little more to this match and a little more to beefcake. Let's talk a little bit about the match itself. You know, he has this match with IRS here. Uh, you, you talked about what's going to happen here. Uh, eventually there's the blade job and the stretcher job. When the angle is pulled off, is anybody nervous? Is, is Vince nervous about Brutus being injured for real? What's his reaction to the way it all plays out? And I guess we should mention somewhere in the middle here, Jimmy Hart turns babyface. at this point, he's been with the company for, it feels like forever, at least eight years. And this is the first time he's been a baby face. So there's a lot going on in this angle. How do you guys, uh, what's the reaction? How did Vince think you guys did with this? I don't remember anybody being overly pleased with it. I think that the, the match itself was tentative. And I know Mike was really anxious about working with beefcake, not wanting to hurt him. It was beefcake's first time back. Um, I think Mike Rotundo could have a have a match with a broomstick and make it look great, but this wasn't this wasn't that opportunity because Mike was really trying to protect Beefcake and he didn't want to hurt him in any way and knew the Beefcake was anxious as well being in the ring for the first time in a long time and Mike taking care of Beefcake Beefcake being a little apprehensive the I just didn't think it was good. I just kind of, and plus you add to that, the reaction from the live audience was a groan. They, and I think the groan was more of them feeling 
that we were shoving Hulkamania down their throat again and that this is what you're going to give us. And it was a time where people that, that, that shift was coming, man, where you, especially being in New York every week or every other week where that audience, man, they, they demanded, they demanded more shit from you. They demanded perfection from you. And this wasn't perfect. Let me ask you this. Brutus wrote in his book that Vince put it into his contract that no one could hit him in the face unless Brutus gave them permission to do so. That makes sense to you. That seems a little ridiculous to me. That sounds a little ridiculous to me too. I mean, I, I can see Vince, I can see Vince telling him, Hey, you know, we got to be careful and make sure that you're comfortable with everything that we're going to do. And maybe from that conversation, that takeaway is, is my God, nobody can hit me in my face without my permission. Lots of people have talked about why Hogan showed up at WrestleMania nine with a black eye. And we, we covered it in our WrestleMania nine episode available in the archives at something to wrestle.com. But just to recap, it goes down with a jet skiing accident. These guys are doing some big tricks, Hogan and beefcake brother. And, uh, allegedly somebody's giving them advice. Be careful standing up. If really big guys like you stand up, the front end works like a seesaw. It could flip you right over. Well, of course, that's exactly what happens. It does a loop and nails Hogan right in the face. And of course, Brutus is imagining the worst thinking of his, his accident, but Hogan gives him the okay sign. Like he's all right, but he's not, he fractures his orbital bone in his eye. He shows up to WrestleMania. And of course, for years, we've all heard that Randy Savage punched him. And that's why there was a black eye. I don't know where that got started. Who do you think started that rumor? Um, gosh, I wonder. Does he live in California? No, come on. There's no chance of that. Okay. Hang on. This is a good, this is a, this is a good spot. I, I'm sorry. I, I've, no, I've got to get can, this. Can we please not do it this week? Just want, can I just read one quote? Can you make can it I read fast? One quote? Can you make it fast? Let's move on. I thought we were going to make it This was, this was a Dave Meltzer quote. The wrestling, uh, this is regarding rumors of WWE possibly buying, uh, evolve. The observer notes that there have been talks of a possible sale ever since WWE started working with WWN. A deal could be made soon, but the talks could go nowhere. That's great reporting. Anyway, sorry. What does um, what does any you know of that what? have to do with this? Just reporting erroneous shit. Um, yeah, just like a little while ago, you said Beefcake was as over as Hulk Hogan, and then said no, I didn't say that. When you did say that, no, I corrected myself though. Okay. I corrected myself and so, I owned it. Okay. I let's, think, you let's, know, I, I just think it was the rumor mills. I think it was people, you know, just saying shit and whispering and it was savage. I heard they got into a fight last night and, and all this other shit. Um, I just think it was rumors of, of people. It's kind of like Shawn Michaels poking Bret Hart and it getting out of control. I think that the same shit happened because you could work Randy Savage into a shoot pretty damn easily. And people whispering shit, people could believe that. Oh, goddamn, Randy punched out Hogan. I just think it got a life unto itself, and it started getting repeated. Hey, so let's talk about this, because I'm excited to talk about the shenanigans they pulled to get this match in the ring. Beefcake details it all in his book, available at BrutusBeefcake.com. He says for WrestleMania, they go in for their physicals, and Hogan has the big bandage on his eye. 
And the plan is to just take it off and touch it up with a little makeup and then just tell the guys, Hey, don't do anything with the face. But the athletic commissioner takes one look at Hogan, starts shaking his head and they're ready to shut him down, like shut down the whole match and beefcake just spins it and starts laughing and says, Oh, we got you. And he freestyles that this is all just an angle. It's a gimmick. And they're saying that money Inc attacked him at the casino the night before and beefcake sort of takes credit for that. When gorilla sort of freestyles that on the commentary that IRS and the million dollar man had had some street thugs attack the Hulkster there in Las Vegas. Of course, in reality, Hogan probably shouldn't have been wrestling, but they're selling it to the commissioner here. When he goes out to the ring, you'll see the makeup will look just like a black eye. Trust me. This is just a fake deal for TV. And eventually they take some pictures with the officials and everything's good again. Do you remember that being the way this goes down that he sort of kayfabed the athletic commissioner? Yeah. Those guys took themselves way too seriously. And you know, if there's a scratch or something on there, Oh, can't compete. It's not a competition. It's entertainment. So yeah, sometimes you had to let them think it was their idea. Of course, Meltzer wrote the match up in the observer. He gave it two stars, not the best match in the world. 18 minutes and 27 seconds. IRS and DiBiase retain because it's a DQ. Uh, what'd you think? Oh God. I thought it was terrible. It really, <laughs> I just, I, I really just thought is. it was terrible. What's that? It really is. I mean, WrestleMania nine is in the top five worst fucking WrestleManias ever. Top five. Yeah. Eh, okay. Um, it was terrible. I mean, there's just no other way. It, it was slow motion. I felt horrible, for, you know, DiBiase, uh, and IRS running into boots and, and just working all around everybody and everything, trying to, to make the match. It just, it, it wasn't good on any level. Um, the finish sucked. Uh, the match sucked. Yeah, not good. Anyway, shape or form. Well, let's talk about, uh, and I, I feel like we, we know what's coming here. Hulk Hogan's going to beat Yokozuna and become the world champion later that night. And Brutus was scheduled to start working with Shawn Michaels after this, but it winds up not happening. He works a couple of dates for new Japan, even gets a win over Masasito in eight minutes and 35 seconds. And then he winds up working a lot of house shows and that's it. He's done. No more television appearances for Brutus, the barber beefcake after WrestleMania nine. Why didn't he wind up doing some stuff with Shawn Michaels? And why did this become the end of his WWF run? I don't know. He was, he, no, he, I don't know. I, I do know he wasn't scheduled to do anything with Shawn Michaels. Um, we were essentially up in the air and it was, Let's see what the hell we have. Vince was on the fence. Vince was on the fence as far as what the hell to do with Beefcake. Um, it was a way to to get Hulk back at WrestleMania. We didn't have the single match. We did the tag team match to pretty much appease Hulk. Felt that, you know, gets him on WrestleMania. It's a return. And 
the jury was out. And I don't think that Vince was in any way convinced. He, he wasn't, wasn't on stable ground really with Hogan, not knowing what the hell we had. And Beefcake wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't the guy there. There was a push at one time, you know, per Hulk where he told Vince, the one guy, the one guy that can replace me and it ain't ultimate warrior. It's not Randy Savage. It's not Kurt Hennig. It's not Rick Rude. It's none of them. The one guy that can replace me that understands sports entertainment has his finger on the pulse. Brother Brutai is the only one that can replace me at the top. He didn't say that. Swear to God. I don't want to believe it. Swear to God. And did everyone start laughing or? Um, well, when it was pitched to us and when I say us, it was myself and Pat Patterson and, you know, Vince McMahon has a soft spot for some guys. And and whenever there would be people that let's just say Pat and I didn't share the same feelings that Vince had and Vince knew it, Vince would preface the conversation. Listen, guys, he's a great guy and he loves the business. He knew whatever he was about to say was, was going to shit all over him. Exactly. We, we knew, we knew beefcake was, was going to be pitched to us or, um, or somebody else that we were like going really, or, or warrior, just, just something was going to be pitched that we were going to shit all over. And so much so that there was a, there was a birthday deal done for Vince and, and people had come to us and this was done for Linda that they asked us and said, Hey, we're going to have a, a, a private party for Vince. And we wanted to do a, a skit. We we're going to put a video together with people saying all these different things. And we thought it would be funny if you and Pat would do a, like a, around the dining room table meeting with Vince and Pat and I did it. And we were pretty stiff because we thought that it was going to be a very, very intimate, uh, close audience that would see this and we are doing oh, i know what we're going to do we're going to be bring in the brutus the barber beefcake and i said yeah god damn it pal he's he's a great guy he loves the business <laughs> oh my and we're doing all this sarcastic stuff that we would do to vince in in in, in our meetings and different things but it was all inside shit we all get called down to the cafeteria one day, the entire company, and they play this video. And Vince is staring daggers at Pat and I, and we're just looking at each other like, we didn't know. But, yeah, that was that was Hulk's idea. The one guy that understands uh, sports entertainment more than anybody was Brutai. And Beefcake was, again, man, I'm not going to go back on Beefcake was over like some bitch. No, he was over with me as a kid, too. I'm not arguing that. Like... Somewhere I've got like the gimmick shears. I mean, I know I've had a lot of fun with him here on the show, but he was over, but just in hindsight, you gotta be like, what the fuck is this? I guess we should mention, he even wrote in his book that his biggest payday he ever made for a single match was that match in new Japan. He made 10 grand for his win over Masa Saito or one of his biggest, of course he was making big money, manning main eventing against Hogan, uh, in, in 85 and 86 as well. So he winds up leaving 
And he would write in his book that there was a number of factors involving his departure. For one, he says Hogan had promised him a job with his production company. If he were to leave, he wanted someone around so he could trust. And he goes so far as to say, you see, Vince had been trying to replace Hogan for years, unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully, like he did with ultimate warrior. Vince always had a weird love, hate relationship with Hulk Hogan. Some promises were made both on the cash and creative sides of things. And some promises were also broken. Now, I think that's the best way to categorize the relationship, but what the fuck do I know? I'm just a fan. Is it fair to say they've always had like a love hate relationship or at least in this era? Always. Uh, I think probably to this day, there's a love hate relationship from, from the moment I stepped into the company in 1987, I, I would venture to say there was a love hate relationship there between Hulk and Vince. And that's what makes it work. You love them because you make a bunch of money with them, but you hate them because you feel like they got leverage over because you make a bunch of money with them. They built the company together. Right. And, and over time people grow apart and the more they grow apart, the more they come back together. Do you think they grow apart because Hogan felt like we can't do it without me and Vince always sort of really wanted to prove it's almost like who's getting credit for what now, obviously in the end, they're both making a bunch of money. But do you feel like some of that is just based on, you know, one feels like they could have done it without the other one. Almost. I know you, maybe you won't get this reference, but Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant had this sort of situation where the other thought that, you know, they couldn't do it without me. Yeah, but it was different because Vince owned the company, but yes, I, I would say, I would say that there was always that feeling and maybe they couldn't, but, but Hogan would tell you. Vince was the guy that owned the company and Vince was the most over. Well, of course there is the weird friction. Those are, these are his words. There's also some weird friction looming over the upcoming steroid trial that Vince was soon going to have to endure. I'm not sure both Hulk Hogan's testimony and Vince McMahon's testimony were going to match all that well. And that's something that probably didn't bode well with Vince McMahon. A final factor was that Hollywood was continuing the knock on Hulk's door. Of course, they're talking about thunder and paradise and Hogan at this point thought thunder and paradise was going to be Baywatch 2.0, right? Yes, he did. And that's what everybody was telling him. And that's what the Hulkster was banking on. Going to employ everybody in the wrestling business. And these are the creators of Baywatch. And he figures this is my next big break. And Brutus goes along with it and thinks, Hey, I'm in. Uh, he manages to pick up a couple of more dates with new Japan, make some good money over there uh, in 93. And then in 94, when Hulk comes to WCW brother, Bruda does too. Of course they can't call him Brutus, the barber beefcake, and he can't call himself the barber or beefcake or Brutus. So they just go brother Bruda at first, and then the butcher and then Zodiac and the man with no name and then disciple and then the booty man and everywhere in between in the end though, even though we've had a lot of fun with Brutus beefcake. And by the way, there's so many X-rated stories in here that we they didn't happen in the WWF, so we can't really cover them. But just hilarious stories about Missy Hyatt and a lot of other stuff that you need to check out the book for. BrutusBoothcake.com. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Yes, I do. I think Beefcake is definitely a Hall of Famer. What do you think his legacy is going to be? You know, a, a lot of people, it's even joked about in his book. You know, yes, it's true. Like people he asked to give quotes and he published this. 
Yes, it's true. Brutus carried Hogan's bags, but don't ask what was in those bags. And I've sort of joked for years that, ah, Brutus was Hogan's weed carrier, but he embraced it. And really, if you're going to play second fiddle to anybody, who better to do that for than Hulk Hogan? I agree. If you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be second, be second to number one. Um, what do you think the legacy is though? Is it cutting the hair while they're asleep? Is it the crazy cutout gear where you can sort of see the side of his legs and the ass meat? Is it the strutting and cutting? What is it? You know what? It's, it's the poster of him in the black and pink, uh, long tights and the jacket holding up the shears. Yep. To me, that, that is how people are always going to remember Brutus, the barber beefcake. Well, and hopefully you're digging what we're doing and you want more of it. And we've got a big announcement. We saved it for the end. We buried the lead, so to speak. Tell everybody what we're doing today. Well, we are going to be a part of the Patreon family. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. We finally convinced you to do something fun. Something to wrestle is coming to Patreon. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, fuck. Now they're trying to sell us something else. And guess what? You're right. But this is awesome because I've convinced Bruce to do stuff that we never thought we would. You see, a lot of times we get people who say, man, all these live shows, you never do one in my area. Shouldn't wish I could see that. Aha. We have a solution for you now. Uh, Let's talk about all the different levels right fast. We've got our no yobbers. And you'll get access to the show early and ad-free every single week. So if you hate our ad reads, here's your chance to get out of our ad reads. And I don't know why anybody would hate Blue Chew, because I don't. Lord knows I don't. You Lord also knows you can get, get it free, baby. A weekly Q&A with myself or Bruce every single week on video. You'll also get behind-the-scenes footage of our prep work every single week. And you're going to get monthly bonus content chosen by the patrons that's just going to run you nine bucks for a little bit more. You can join pronoun pals. You get everything above plus a personal call from Bruce, 10% off all your box orders, additional monthly bonus content on the current product. That's right. A lot of people say, I wish you guys would talk about what's happening with Roman reigns. Well, now we will. And you've also got weekly live footage of Bruce calling fans for their t-shirt orders. That should be a lot of fun. If you want to be a little bigger, you can be a doot doot dooter and you get everything above. Plus you're going to get my show notes from every single episode. Today's episode with Brutus beefcake was right under 80 pages. So if you just can't get enough, there's your spot. We've only got a limited number of those. And we'll also include a something to wrestle enamel pin. Now, if you want to be the big deal, We've got two other packages for you. One is the Nada Rivers. And if you want to be a Nada River, you get two VIP tickets to a live show. You get exclusive something to wrestle merchandise for free stuff. We're not going to sell. Some of you may have even seen the Stanford chapstick. I tweeted a photo of a few weeks ago. Well, there you go. There's an example. You'll get 15% off your box of gimmicks.com orders. You'll also get two free tickets to a dirty dozen prior to a live show. You'll get a signed and personalized eight by 10. You're going to enjoy the archives of our live shows. 
almost every single live show we've done for the last two years has been recorded. Almost all of them. We've got that video and we're going to start uploading it to Patreon. We're also going to have exclusive something to wrestle ringtones for your phone. And Bruce will record a voicemail greeting in a character voice for your phone. As if that wasn't enough. And this is my favorite part. We're going to live stream our future live shows for free. Now we won't have this up in time for Rochester, but we might have this rocking and rolling for you in time for Pittsburgh, but no doubt about it. Gramercy is going to be live and in living color as Bruce likes to say. And as if that wasn't enough at this level, we're going to do a live video feed of us recording the show every single week. Now we won't be able to interact with you because we're going to be trying to record the show, but you'll get to see us record the show every single week. As if that's not enough. Cause we're still not done. Wait, you, could, well, well, you mean there's more, there's more. You could be a top fiver. A top fiver includes everything we've already talked about, but you also get a Skype call with Bruce and you pick a bonus episode. That's right. You pick a bonus episode and we're going to have you on the show to talk about whatever that bonus content is going to be and why you want us to cover it. And you get to make a special guest appearance on that show. You also get a new piece of merchandise every single quarter for free. As if that wasn't enough, we're going to let you design a piece of something to wrestle merchandise. Now we would like for you to design something people are actually going to buy, but I understand some of you will not. And last, but certainly not least, we're going to invite you for a very special annual something to wrestle weekend event, either here in Huntsville or Bruce lives in Houston. Now he wants us to come there. This is his only job, but he wants us to come there. I have 9,000 jobs and I want you to come here so I can still do my other jobs, but still these are the offerings that we're rolling out to you. You can join us and support us and it would greatly be appreciated by both Bruce and myself. If you would consider it at patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle that's patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle as little as $9 a month, get you in the game. Some of the bigger packages are more, but we're trying to load it up with value, man. You get a voicemail greeting, live streams of our live shows, live streams of us recording the shows, uh, free tickets to shows, all the archives of our live shows, tons of stuff, you know, new bonus content, stuff on the current product. You can do a guest spot. You can come to our freaking hometowns. It should be a lot of fun. Go check it out. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. We're going to start loading content this month and it will be all the way live. As Bruce says by August 1st. Uh, so slowly, but surely over the next month, uh, we're going to start loading up some of that content. We only have a handful of these top two spots available. Um, of course, $9 we're unlimited. Come join us, come support us and you can enjoy the show every week. Anything else you want to mention about Patreon? I feel like we've offered a lot of stuff here, a tremendous value and hopefully people are digging what we're doing. I'm excited. I'm, you know, it's something new and different and we're going to have a whole hell of a lot of fun with us. Come and grow with us and have fun with us, man. I'm, I'm pretty damn psyched actually. Yeah. I'm excited to do it too. You know, we've got, um, I I think I misrepresented this before I took all the extra spaces out. This was 60 uh, or 80 pages. Today's format is actually 68 pages, but I would publish the whole 68. You can see, Hey, what does it take to put together something to wrestle? 
but let's talk about Brutus, the barber beefcake, because this is what we're doing here today. And I feel like we should remind you that we've already got next week's show mapped out. It's Muhammad Hassan. Don't miss that. If you haven't already, uh, but check out what might be our last show ever on the WWE network, CM Punk this Wednesday. All right, let's get to it. Are you ready for these rapid fire questions here, Bruce? Rapid fire, baby. Sterling wants to know if he isn't best friends with Hulk Hogan, what does Brutus Beefcake's career look like? You know what? I, I believe that he had the charisma and he had the look that he probably still would have been a top guy. Tim King wants to know, has Bruce ever heard when Brutus left his Coke at a train station in Boston and caused an anthrax scare? <laughs> I think everybody has heard that story. Uh, when he was, he was working there, right? Allegedly he was working there. Um, I mean, it, this story takes on a thousand different versions. Yeah. You know, sometimes he's working a toll booth. Sometimes he's working a train, whatever. Sometimes he's away from it. Sometimes he's asleep either way. Uh, what do you make of those rumors? Well, the, I, I never heard that there was ever any charges or anything more than the rumor that all this happened. So if somebody else out there has something, some kind of newspaper clippings you want to send us, man, I'd be interested in seeing those. So let's talk about, uh, Michael Williams bell. He wants to know, were there ever any plans for a loser leaves their hair matches that the opponent refused to do? Were there plans for Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake to lose his hair? Never any plans for beefcake to lose his hair. And there were guys that didn't want to work with beefcake and didn't want to cut their hair and they didn't get the 200 bucks. PJ wants to know how would it sound for Jim Cornette to put over beefcakes, barber gimmick. He's a goddamn barber. Of course he has to cut your fucking hair, take $200, get a goddamn haircut and then go to the fucking, uh, shears R us and get it fixed. Motherfucker. Christopher guest wants to know why was Brutus so content to be the spare wheel WWF and WCW. He was just Hulk's tag along. Was he only interested in the money? Was it a lack of desire that held him back? Well, I don't think he was a spare wheel. I think that he had his own career and did well on it. And people like to, you know, say that because they have nothing else to hang their hat on and beefcake had a hell of a career and did his own thing, but yet he was Hulk's friend. So because he did well in certain things and certain things were because of Hulk's, you know, pushing and suggestions, but that's all they're going to hang their hat on. Derek wants to know whether ever plans to turn Brutus heel on Hulk Hogan in the WWF. Uh, we actually talked about it. Yeah. And thought that that would have been something that would have helped both Hulk and beefcake, but never came to fruition because beefcake had his finger on the pulse of the sports entertainment world. Christopher wants to know, was Brutus your go-to barber for those sick locks of yours? Beefcake did uh, give me a trim at one time. Uh, Kenny wants to know, did Brutus ever hurt his back from carrying Hulk's bags all those years? You'd have to ask him. Adam wants to know, Bruce always says the guy never won a championship because he didn't need the belt. (laughs) Well, if anyone ever did need a singles belt, it was Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, but he never got the strap. What's up with that? Not true. By God, he did. He just absolutely did just fine on his own. Didn't need that damn belt. Jay Andrew wants to know is Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. One of the top five worst gimmicks. You tell me we're still talking about it. So it's a great gimmick. No, I don't think it's top five. Uh, Devin wants worse, to know, no. what were the plans for Brutus's future before the accident, besides beating Kurt for the IC, which we've covered anything else you can remember that you guys had talked well, about? 
Well, I mean, that was the short term. So that was, you know, that was a couple months down the line. So beyond that, it was continue with him as a, with a baby face run. Mark wants to know any backlash from the TV networks for the Ron Bass spur incident from 88. No, not at all. That was all manufactured. Andrew wants to know, what do you believe is Brutus, the fucking barber beefcakes best match? And what was his best angle? Wow. I would have to say his best match and matches were probably with Mr. Perfect and Rick yep, Rude. I agree. Um, I think that that was the best stuff. I really enjoyed as far as angles go. I, I love the stuff with Ron Bass and I was sad that it didn't go any further than that. Uh, let me ask this. This is a fun question. Was there ever any attempt to get as Leslie to come back to the WWE? No. Why, well, why do you think that is though? I guess is the question. Cause you know, everybody comes back eventually, whether it's, um, you know, Sergeant Slaughter is back in a, uh, an office capacity or an on-screen commissioner capacity. Like everybody gets a, a return, never him. Why? Well, I don't think that first of all, as far as wrestling capacity, I think there was always that hesitation of what he could do and what his limitations were with, with his face and what have you. And I don't know that beefcake ever demonstrated any real knack for behind the scenes role or had any, a whole lot of creativity that he showed during his time, as far as being able to adapt to that side of the business. And by the way, we got lots of questions like this. Clayton is one of the many not defending Brutus in any way, but why, and what is the real reason that Conrad hates him so much? I don't guys, this is a gimmick. I'm just, you know, trying to make it a gag on the show. A lot of the show that I put together here is me trying to sort of mirror the greatest radio host of all time, Howard Stern. And he's got these little inside gags. Like what's Vince's favorite dessert. God damn it. The fuck do you think it's chocolate and it's titties. See, so that is a callback. So if every time I say Brutus beefcake, I say Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake, it becomes one of our things in the show, uh, behind the scenes, Ed Leslie, cool guy. He's coming to Starcast. He'll be able to do all your meet and greets, all your photo ops. And, uh, he's, he listens to our show and he does a lot of autograph signings where he signs hashtag BTFBB. He's even selling his own shirt. Hashtag BTFBB. Now fuck him. Don't buy his buy ours at Bruce We like him, but not that much, but the book we're not selling and you can buy that and he'll have autograph books at Starcast too. So I'm not cross with beefcake at all. I do think he shouldn't have beat Mr. Perfect though. That's fucking ridiculous. Uh, Jeremy wants to know what happened when Brutus sold his WrestleMania four tickets. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I think that's urban legend, but no, it, it was, is the rumor and innuendo was the comp tickets that had gone out. And the guy said that he got them from Brutus beefcake beefcake denied it, but that's what the guy said. Um, let's talk a little bit about, and this is a fun question because we got lots of different variations of this. Conrad, who's the bigger yes man, Brutus for Hogan or Bruce for Vince? Before I answer, I'll let you answer. Well, it's ill informed people, so fuck them. Well, the answer is clearly Bruce for Vince because even when they break up, you know, 10 years later, Bruce is still carrying Vince's water. These days, Brutus, not so much for Hulk Hogan. 
Uh, Eric wants to know is Brutus to Hulk as Johnny Aces to Vince a fair comparison? No. Uh, Jason wants to know has had Beefcake stayed healthy? Was he considered for the WWE Championship? Like, did Vince ever pitch it? Vince pitch it? No. Uh, <laughs> no. No, he, he really wasn't, but he was definitely, he was the guy that was a support. He was that firm number two guy. Uh, let's talk about, and, and this is one we got a lot as well. Brutus Beefcake claimed to know Gino Hernandez and was aware of his lifestyle. How in the hell did he know Gino? I never thought they were in the same place at the same time before. I don't know. Um, they might've crossed paths at some point, maybe in the mid South when beefcake went through there for a hiccup. But, um, I don't know, man. Stranger things have happened. Frank wants to know if anybody else was considered for the spot with Zeus and Savage, like who else was considered to be Hulk Hogan's partner? Was it only ever Brutus? It only ever was Brutus because, you know, the only other logical candidate at that time was the ultimate warrior. Warrior was a champ and warrior was involved with Rick Root at the time. So it was, it was beefcake and there really wasn't, especially when you, you go down the list of baby faces, beefcake was the next logical guy. Besides the ultimate warrior. I said the ultimate warrior was involved. He was a champion involved with Rick Rude. Had his own deal. Did not want to put the warrior, uh, rub him up against Hulk. Your next major world champion besides warrior would be Bret Hart. He's not considered either. Oh my God. Not even close at the time. Not even close. Uh, Cody says when Hogan returned in 02, did he at least mention beefcake coming back? (laughs) No, he didn't. Cody wants to know, has there been anyone in the wrestling business that owes the entirety of their success to someone else more than Brutus Beefcake? I mean, the answer is Lanny Poffo. Um, I mean, Brutus got over Lanny Poffo was on payroll with WCW forever. Never did shit. Well, Beefcake didn't really do shit in WCW either. Well, no, I get Uh, you there, but he was at least once upon a time over like I could argue that Lanny was over as a genius at okay. one time as well. Brutus had pay-per-view matches in WCW. How many of them shits did Poffo have? What beefcake matches did he have in WCW? He wrestled Mark Merrow in the opening match 39 months in a row. He also main evented Starcade. It's their WrestleMania against Hulk Hogan. It drew beefcake do- did? It drew dozens of buys. Beefcake did. Yeah. He was also in the main event with Hogan as part of the dungeon. Now I understand why I didn't watch that shit. So is there another example of somebody who owes the entirety of their career to somebody else? Um, Jerry Jarrett. Oh God. Let's move on. His mama. Well, you know, by the way, I've got a great Jerry Jarrett story for you. I know you have a lot of fun with shit with Jerry from a long time ago. I got fresh material for you off air. Yeehaw. Um, Brad wants to know what are Bruce's thoughts on what Eric Bischoff had to say about Brutus at the end of a more recent episode of 83 weeks. Now you have to tell me what he said. Well, he buried him in a big way and said, basically beefcake had been selling autographed pictures of Hulk Hogan at conventions. So he would take a picture of him and Hulk and I had Hulk signature on it already. And then he would sign his name. 
And Bischoff alleges this was happening at a time when Hulk and Brutus were in a bit of a falling out. So realistically, in Bischoff's assertion, no way those were legitimate signatures. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. I have no way of knowing one way or the other. So, Well, well, he's basically saying that Beefcake, as a person, is not a good person. You know what? I think that Beefcake is just a kind of a quiet guy and to make a judgment one way or the other, I don't know him well. And I don't know him well enough to, to say whether he is or not. Cause I never made that effort to get to know him beyond kind of a casual deal. So I, I didn't care, I guess is the best way to put it. Anthony, we got lots of parallels for this one too. Anthony says, was beefcake viewed like he was Hogan's Virgil. I think that there were people that, definitely looked at beefcake as the only reason he was there was because of Hulk and that, yeah, he was just there. And there was a time that that's, that was his job was to take care of Hulk. So yeah. Um, Brian Pettis has a great question here. Who came up with the idea of Heenan sticking magnets to his face on primetime wrestling? <laughs> that's terrible. That's all Bobby Heenan. That's great shit. That was all Bobby. Okay. I was hoping for a little more. Cool. Well, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's just, that's Bobby being Bobby. Bobby would do silly shit that only Bobby could get away with. Alex wants to know, do you know what caused the rift between Hulk Hogan and Brutus beefcake of late? I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Travis says, I love this theme music. What did Bruce and Conrad think of this theme and where it ranks all time? Man, it got people up off of their seats and got them excited. So it's easily recognizable. And to this day, you could probably play it and people know exactly who it is. You know what's great? Because as you said, you could play it and people know exactly who it is. Uh, that's why we, we were so excited. I don't know if you saw earlier today. We rolled it out. Jim Johnston, the man behind the themes that we all grew up on, is going to be joining us at StarCast. It's a very rare appearance for him. I believe it's his first one post WWE. He almost never does public appearances, but after months and months and months of twisting his arm, I finally convinced him to do it. So Saturday, September 1st, starcast.com. You got to come see him. Uh, He's going to have some of his instruments there and he's going to explain the creative process behind creating some of these iconic themes, including Brutus, the fucking barber beefcake. So, you know, this had to come up eventually. I read the book this week and in the book, he talks about Rick Rude's dong hashtag Rick Rude's dong. You knew eventually we were going to work in dong conversation here. You, you work in dong conversation every day of your life. You tried to sell a shirt that said Kings of dong shit. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm just saying dongs help put us on the map. I mean, a dong is responsible for me being here. A dong is responsible for you being here. And I don't mean in a physical sense. I mean, bluetooth.com. Use our promo code. Russell. He wrote that Kurt ribbed Rick rude because Rick rude was taking a bunch of painkillers, had a little trouble with his gimmick. This is before blue chew was around. He could have just used that chewable and gotten faster and better results. But instead 
Kurt said, oh, you should just inject steroids into it. That's what I do. Well, he does this and it swells up and it's ridiculous. And he has to go to the doctor and then has all these problems that we've heard about for years and years. And this is all in Brutus's book at BrutusBeefcake.com. But I had to mention that because we've, we've talked about Rick Reed's dog for like two years. Arlie wrote this. Hulk Hogan has a 10 inch penis while Terry Bollea does not. Hypothetically speaking, how big was Brutus the fucking barber's dick? Yeah, I, I, I will never understand another man's fascination with other people's penises like you children have these days. Do you understand that every time we ask for questions, inevitably some dude writes how big's Batista's dick? It doesn't matter what topic it is. Sean Oliver and yeah, those dudes at Kayfabe Commentaries have got it to where whenever we ask any question, someone always hits us with the Batista one. But I did think it was funny given the the lawsuit with Hogan a few years ago where he says, Oh, Hulk Hogan has this, but Terry Bollea does not. It's good stuff. It's a sad state of affairs, is what it is. Well, that's what our show is, man. Our show is a sad state <laughs> of affairs, and we hope you'll join us for more bonus content. Go sign up or, or at least check us out. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. We're pretty excited about it and hope you are too. Live streaming video, man. What else could you ask for? More bonus content, no ads, lots of fun stuff. Uh, you can check it out right now. Patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle next week on Wednesday. What might be our last show ever on the WWE network, CM Punk. And then next Friday, right here on the flagship. I'm not going to say the mothership. That's somebody else's gimmick on the flagship podcast for wrestling. It's all about Muhammad Hassan. Give everybody a tease. What might we talk about if we cover Muhammad Hassan? And I guess I should mention this to you. He actually reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm kind of nervous. So I might even share my notes with him. And get a little feedback, and then you can shit on him next week right here on Something to Wrestle. Uh, you know what? I, I, I won't shit on him at all. Uh, however, there, there are people that were part of creative at the time that should probably be pretty fucking nervous. And I'll leave it at that because there was a lot of controversy during that time. There was a lot of finger pointing during that time. But there was some craziness that has never been discussed, at least from my vantage point and from the other side and, and, and we'll get into it, man, but it's going to be interesting. There are a lot of people. And I even told you, I said, man, there's not a whole lot there, but then after thinking about it and, uh, I'm like, you know what, actually there's some pretty good controversial shit there and you're going to have to tune in to find out exactly what the hell it is. And right now there's people sweating and shaking over on the left coast, a little scared. Well, I'm excited about it. Tune in next week right here for Muhammad Hassan. And don't forget, check us out on patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. And tomorrow night, Rochester, New York. Come see us. Pittsburgh, we're sold out. New York, we're still got a few tickets left. We're available at brucepritchard.com for August 18th. SummerSlam weekend at Gramercy Theater, our home away from home. And if you want to see us in Ireland or Scotland, tweet about it. Let them know. And hopefully, this time next week, we'll have a special announcement for you right here on Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.